well as recorded by Franklin Mack. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. All right, moving on to our Pledge of Allegiance students. We have with us here Jacob and Madeline. If you guys want to come up to the microphone. Um, so we have two of our um, seniors here from the FHS Peer Leaders Club. The Franklin High School peer leaders are a group of compassionate and responsible students who choose to lead by example. In this role, students choose to abstain from dangerous substances and take on many important roles in the school. The leaders not only help ease the transition of underclassmen or new students, but they also volunteer over the summer at the high school orientation and at every open house parent night that Franklin High School offers. The peer leaders also facilitate many school and community programs. Peer leaders demonstrate their care and compassion for others throughout the year. Jacob and Madeline, along with their classmates, have set the successful tone that the beginning of the year has been. The climate of a school is directly connected with the senior class. FHS is lucky to have a tremendous collection of students who are interested in making our school a better place every single day. So Jacob and Madeline, if you want to lead us all in the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And as is customary, we will now pause for a moment of silence. of agenda. Agenda looks okay to everybody? Okay. I'm sorry, I forgot we have a remote participant so I need to take a roll call vote for this evening's meeting. Um, Camille Bernstein? Here. David Callahan? Here. Al Charles? Here. Dave McNeil? Here. Elise Stokes? Here. Megan Whitmore? Here. Denise Spencer here? Okay. Thank you. All right, sorry about that. Payment of bills taken care of. Payroll, Ms. Stokes? Payroll's in order. All right. Moving on to our FHS student reps. You guys want to go ahead? Um, hi, my name is Shaw Downing. I'm the vice president of the class of 2023. I'm going to update you on sports to start. Um, last Friday, the football team had a statement win at Taunton with a score of 35 to 14. The boys' soccer took a big win, 3 to 0 on Monday in their game against Severian. Full slate of games today. We had field hockey volleyball, soccer. Our gold medal unified basketball team won North Alvaro today. The golf team faced off against Taunton today at home and won. Both boys and girls cross country won their meet in North Alvaro. Our field hockey team played in Stone today and won 13 to nothing. The girls soccer team played at noon South High School today. Finally, good luck to our volleyball team who is playing in Stone at the moment. The class of 2024 updates are that the PSAT is coming up on October 15th, which is this Saturday. They have started their prom committee meetings every other Friday morning. Their prom date is set for May 5th, 2023 at Lombardo's in Randolph, where past classes have held their prom. They will roll out their first fundraiser for this year soon to raise money for their prom. Hi, I'm Robin Chaudhary, the class of 2023 president. Uh, to start with some class 2023 specific updates, senior quotes for the yearbook are due October 31st. As for our first banquet, which seems weird in our final year of high school, that is going to be on Thursday, April 6th at uh, Lake Pearl. And 
we don't have school the next day due to Good Friday. Uh, we are organizing our raffle calendar fundraiser again this year, and we'll be collecting prizes for the calendar from local businesses. So if you would like to donate something or know anyone that would like to, you can contact our advisors, John Layden, uh, Beth Ann Curtis, or anyone in the administration at Franklin High School. Other than that, just many kids are applying to colleges right now. We have early deadlines approaching the first week of November. Um, other than that, seniors are rather quiet right now. As for whole school updates, Diversity Awareness Club is currently holding its first event of the year, their sweet and greet, where attendees are able to try different desserts from around the world while students share information about their cultures in the diverse community at Franklin High School. Uh, the Franklin High School Theater Company is currently working on Cinderella, and their performances will be on November 11th, 12th, 18th, and 19th. Ski club sign-ups are open now. Kids will be um, selected on a first-come, first-served basis, and there will be trips to watch you every Tuesday after school. Parent conferences will take place on November 9th in person in the afternoon and evening, and November 10th uh, will be virtual only. And the FHS Academic Learning Center is open in room 242 on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday from 2.15 to 3.45 for anyone looking for help with homework or projects or anything else. And lastly, our homecoming game is on Friday, October 21st at 7 p.m. The football team will be hosting Attleboro. At halftime, we'll do our tradition of a parade with different floats for every class. And then the dance will be the next day on Saturday, October 22nd from 7 to 10 p.m. Any questions for me tonight? I want to go to the suite. <laughs> 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 My information on your card. Okay. Thank you, Denise. Okay. Um, right. I think that's it. We got some ready. Mr. Kier, Superintendent's Report. Good evening, everyone. Just before I begin, uh, Robin had family visiting. Um, from out of town, and they're here to support Robin. And I just wanted to say he's a tremendous young man, and we're lucky to have him here to report. But we're really lucky to have him in town and here as a Franklin High student. Shaw, I would not want to leave you out. You are <laughs> <laughs> and I know your, your parents are aware and your family. <laughs> so thank you for being here and for supporting um, for supporting your uh, your son and your family. Thank you. <laughs> On Friday, October 7th, the Franklin PS staff participated in Early Release Professional Development Day. Our pre-K teachers began a course on multi-tiered systems of support through partnership with Project Aspire, which is basically a parental engagement um, program on which uh, the staff worked together and continued their coursework. Some also continued safety care training um, as an approach to the support. Our elementary and middle schools the staff worked within their buildings to examine student data and calibrate effective approaches to supporting student growth through goal setting. At the high school, students, uh, high school teachers participated in department-guided professional development to support curriculum alignment and implementation. So we're currently preparing for a full professional development day on November 8th. The morning of November 8th will kick off our two-year pre-K through five science of reading PD while secondary level We'll focus on building-based initiatives. <clears throat> Last year, the feedback on the full-day PD from teachers was positive regarding the opportunities to collaborate on district, school, and team initiatives. And as such, the afternoon will focus 
on offering a menu of choices. The Office of Teaching and Learning sent out requests for proposals to all educators similar to what we did last year, and they've asked to consider three types of sessions. Present an idea or strategy to colleagues, facilitate a roundtable discussion on um, a topic related to teaching, or lead a collaborative planning session um, on a variety of initi initiatives. And we're excited to report that we've already received over 70 responses from teachers within the district. Sessions led by colleagues, school, district administrators, and outside providers will be available on that day. Uh, late buses. Uh, after school clubs and activities began at the middle and high school last week. Late buses began operating. We were able to staff four late buses versus five in prior years. General routes are posted on the transportation website, but bus stops vary depending on who's actually riding um, on any given day for an after school club or activity. So students uh, might not be dropped off um, at their regular bus stop, but they should be within a half mile of their home at any point in walking distance. Routes started later than anticipated and have taken longer this past week. We are working with Holmes Bus Company to make adjustments and reduce the time students spend on the bus, and they are also trying to get uh, buses to schools earlier. We encourage parents to review the late bus routes with students so that each student knows which bus, bus to take um, and which stop to get off. And if you have questions, you can reach out. I would check the website first for those, for the PDF that's available. It's on the left-hand column of the transportation tab. But also you could email schoolbus at franklinps.net if you had any specific questions that we can help with. We're happy to help. Um, as follow-up to last meeting, citizens' comments regarding opting out as part of the curriculum, the Mass General Law 71, Section 32A was referenced. I just wanted to take an opportunity to clarify um, regarding that law. Um, Massachusetts General Law 71, Section 32A affords parents and guardians the flexibility to exempt their children from curriculum which primarily involves human sex sexual education without penalty. And in accordance with that law, the Franklin School Committee, you have a policy that was adopted which outlines the parental notification relative to the sexual education uh, each school year, the district notifies parents and guardians and provides a description of the human growth and development sexuality curriculum that's covered. The notice includes their right to exempt their child from um, any portion of the professional development, I mean, I'm sorry, the human development curriculum, and a right to review instructional materials to the extent practicable um, upon written request of the principal. For example, um, if you have an elementary student, you may recall um, a letter that's sent out which outlines the curriculum topics. It also has some curriculum information that can be reviewed. And um, at the middle and high school, you can also expect more information notification. It's also in the handbook for high school um, and, uh, and other levels. Each school year, uh, let me see. So the, the opt-out law focuses on the course curriculum which primarily involves human sexual education and sexuality. As defined, it talks about curriculum that involves human sexual education and human sexuality issues. Um, and it's really uh, the instruction materials that focus principally on human development and biological processes for human reproduction and sexual development. Aspects of the curriculum which are not prim prim primarily involved in such matters are not included in that opt-out pursuant to that Mass General Law um, that was cited, which is 7132A. Uh, mass Law does not prohibit instruction in the curriculum such as English history or science where themes related to human sexuality are embedded in course materials but not the course's primary subject. 
and Franklin Public Schools uh, work related to um, themes of belonging, identity, and equitable access of student are not included in um, that opt-out. Um, there's no opt-out for the theme of belonging um, within the schools. The last update I have for you is related to staffing. We've been providing staffing updates since August, and um, today we have one, one teacher vacancy um, remaining on the list with a pending um, uh, position of a new hire for our science teacher at the high school. Um, and we've communicated with the families um, regarding that for the high school science teacher, and we'll continue to try to um, fill all of our positions, as we've said. Um, and we are down from 13 support positions like ESPs to 11 uh, currently. So we continue to advertise. We've refreshed multiple times to make sure we're at the top of the queue. We've reached out through other networks as well, and we'll continue to try to hire and fill every position that we can. And um, that concludes my report for the evening. We'll take questions. Okay, thank you, Mr. Chiu. I just want to clarify the one teacher vacancy is the one that's pending or there's one and then there's one there, there's one vacancy and there's a pending um, teacher position that we're um, a science teacher that we are in uh, the employment components so just meeting the stipulations of our employment we we anticipate having uh, one vacancy remaining at an elementary for a special education position um, so I had a question about um, because I had a um, parent call about the science mm -hmm. position concern that, um, and I'm reporting here and then trying to just get information, sure. um, that the student, um, this is the quote from the parent, wasn't being taught physics at all for 21 days. So I just wanted to, sure. I wanted, I, I don't know how it's handled, if, if um, other teachers, but like, is it a building sub, a regular sub, other science teachers fill in? So the right. parent was pretty concerned that their student was, um, in her words, doing nothing for 21 days. So I just wanted to ask about that. Sure, absolutely, I'm happy to answer that. And I also have our principal, Joshua Hanna, here today who can come up and, and also speak to this. But, um, and Josh, you can come up. But ultimately, we had the same adult in the room working within the science department um, and the course partners to provide students with the, the curriculum. Um, we recognize that doesn't replace um, having a licensed teacher, um, and that's not ideal, and that's not a situation we wanted to be in. And certainly, we're, we were actively seeking, and we hope that we have a resolution um, in, the, in the next day. But understand the frustration from families, but um, the adult that we put in the room um, at a high care level for students worked within the department to make sure that the information that was being taught and conveyed to the students in that room was consistent with what other students would be experiencing so that it wasn't um, different. Like I said, I'll let Josh uh, fill in uh, a couple of pieces, but that would be my overarching response. Sure, so when teachers unexpectedly aren't here, we obviously have substitutes for them, and then we're in the process of um, hiring highly qualified people with that content expertise and background, and that's where we've been the last month for this particular role. Uh, the physics uh, certification obviously is a unique one and uh, there aren't a lot of human beings frankly that have that background and are interested in doing this work and so it made our job of finding a reasonable replacement who not only had the background of uh, being an educator or want to work in high school but also the content expertise to be able to actually teach what it is that the students were learning. 
So we did have work for students to do, uh, but we did not have a human that was um, at that level of expertise to, t to teach it in a way that we would be you know, used to or comfortable with. And um, you know, at this point, we're closing in on having that um, fit, so that's, that's a positive. Um, we did have some opportunities to invest in some online learning platforms, uh, but being completely honest, uh, most of those aren't anywhere near the experience of having a, a teacher in the room. And so when it came down to uh, monies and time in terms of where to spend uh, your investment, we were really trying to recruit and find someone that would be able to uh, meet the students' needs long term. Uh, and so all that said, that's where we've been the last few weeks. And I've been in communication with families as frequently as possible and recognize and understand their frustration. I certainly don't dispute it. I share it. Um, and as, do, as does our administration and school. And we dealt with a situation that was unexpected. And I think those things, those things unfortunately happen. And you know, being totally honest regarding the state of, of public education in this country with the number of people that have decided to find paths to make employment in other ways, I, you know, I think we're really lucky as a district we only have one opening at this point. I mean, if you look at a lot of other districts around the state, that number's a lot higher. So um, not, not, um, not making excuses, just being honest. Right. Um, I have another thought. Can, can I come back to it? Um, I just had a question. Now I can't remember the question. Go. Dave Callahan? Yeah. Um, thank you very much for, uh, for the update, both the, the overall superintendents and also uh, drilling down to on the staffing issue. Uh, one thing, actually, I wanted to, uh, two questions about one subject. We talked about the late bus. Mm -hmm. So you said uh, brought down from four, it was originally five, brought down to four, is that correct? Correct. Is that due to budgetary reasons or just a need? It's a staffing issue. The driver, they, they don't have jobs to staff five, five late buses, so we consolidated to four at this point. Um, and again, just to also to kind of reiterate, because we're talking about staffing, when it comes to the staffing of the school bus drivers, that's a, something that's a contract that Correct. we're going out to. That's not an employee of the Franklin Public School System. <coughs> But a, a bus company hires the That's correct. Um, all right, thank you very much for that. Uh, and also, on that, that note with the busing too, this is something I had recently read an article that was talking about um, school bus transportation and uh, kind of linked to the cost of fuel. Um, so uh, at least with this one article that was kind of talking about it is saying that a lot of times the contracts that we kind of currently have have a cap on the fuel rate. So even though the cost of fuel is, is going up, that we're kind of you know, kept uh, our, our cap is down, so that way it doesn't kind of impact our, our budget uh, too much. Is that where we stand? No, we do have a fuel escalation clause in our contract that, that has that similar cap in terms of how much um, over and what um, payments might need to be made um, depending on the price of fuel. So yeah, we do, we do have um, that type of a clause. Okay. Uh, it doesn't cap it off, but it does allow for the vendor um, to be able to recoup some of the costs of the fuel, which we don't know where that's going to go, but it is coming down. Uh, no, absolutely. But yeah, just so, so, so it shouldn't be a, a major surprise, Correct. you know, uh, coming on down the line that we've allocated this much, and it's actually going to be this much. Because Correct. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, no questions. Okay. I just want to say uh, thank you very much for this update. Um, the um, that 
recent PD day, it's great to, you know, because we hear so much about multi-tiered systems support and the data-driven uh, decision-making, so it's, you know, it's great to hear that's being implemented already um, into uh, prepared procedures and the day-to-day, -day. and thank you as well for the clarification on the um, opt-out um, portion of the program, because it's important to have correct information. <coughs> thank you. I guess I just want to validate the, um, the comment that Dr. Critical need for staff in all districts in the state of Massachusetts, and it's really tough and really scary in some places. And I think you know the administration here, you're doing the best you can, and you need to fill the physics position with a physics teacher. You can't just take a biology teacher and put them in there for a full year. And so you need to take the time and be thorough in the process as far as hiring. And so I know I wish that they were hired in August too. Everybody does, but I know that you're going through um, the process that you need to go through to get it. A, um, a person in there that will be able to deliver the curriculum and in the expert way that physics needs to be delivered. So I appreciate that. Um, just a question: How long on the late buses? How long are kids on the late buses? Like, like some of the complaints you're getting, I'm sure you're getting some. Um, like, what's what's long? Yeah. So, so first they're arriving to the school later than they typically should. So they should be arriving to the school in the three to three fifteen range. Oh, so the buses are getting that aren't even picking them up. So one might be. So some of them are not getting to the school until three thirty, and in some cases three forty-five. So we're working on that shift in that schedule. Um, additionally. Um, not knowing the number of kids who are going to ride on a given day and putting the route together at that moment, that's what drivers are doing. Some students were, in fact, um, getting home 5 o'clock, just before 5 o'clock, which we're, we're, that's not ideal. And, and we are working on getting that schedule down um, so that students are, aren't on the bus for that long period of, um, of time. So, so it's something we're aware of. I'm sorry for families because I don't want to see students spend that much time on a late bus to try to get home. I want to encourage kids to uh, participate in after-school activities and clubs, and I want to be able to get them home safely um, and in a timely fashion. So we are definitely um, working on trying to get those buses there to the schools earlier and um, getting them home um, earlier. Yeah, so if the clubs are ending at 3 and the buses aren't even showing up to pick the kids up till 3.30, and then that's a drain on whatever the building-based staff that's waiting Absolutely. waiting around outside with the kids because you're not just going to go home and, or go into your office and do work when their kids still there waiting. So they must have to be supervised in some way because they're not schoolers. And, um, yeah, okay. Right, and part of that is, is logistical um, because our elementary is let out at 2.45. So if hypothetically if those buses are leaving the, the elementary at 2.55 in a 10 minute roughly dismissal period, there's not a, a Kellen bus leaving at 2.55 is not likely to be back at any settlement at 3 o'clock. No, right. So we're working on some of those logistics and, and we're aware of that. Well, more power to you. And not, not a job I would want necessarily because <laughs> the numbers aren't making any sense. <laughs> Um, but uh, keep us posted on that. Mm -hmm. Megan? Uh, yeah, thank you for the update. And uh, yeah, we understand you're working hard on trying to fill these positions. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, all right. Moving right along. Yes. I, I remember. You remember? <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly have COVID. Okay, right. go ahead. And it's a real thing. 
Um, so I guess the difficulty too is like my audience is both parents and also asking you. And I want to um, second what Elise had said that, that positions all over the state, all over the United States. And um, it's not shocking given the treatment the teachers have been um, under um, the last several years that we are finding more and more difficulties. And I worry that this will continue to be worse continue to be worse. Um, and notoriously, science positions are some of the hardest to fill. Um, and physics, of all of them, the hardest to fill. Um, and it's not, I'm an English teacher, but I can be pulled to teach American Lit. I've taught American, I've taught every grade and almost every level. But biology, as you said, biology teachers just can't jump over and teach physics. It also depends too on how the school is set up. I myself was out for the first 12 days of this school year with pneumonia, and it was horrendous thinking that the kids would start the school year without me. However, because of how our duties are, teachers have a sub-duty, and they're pulled into that classroom. It's not a substitute teacher. But it's also, one of my colleagues could teach my class, but they might be teaching seniors, and it's English is a little bit different than teaching physics. So they, and also I was at home, even though I was sick, I could make the lesson plans and even record videos for the kids, although I couldn't be in school. So it's not, I want to support that the school was doing the best they could, but also I'd like to encourage, and this is where it's difficult for me, because I'm a school committee member. My role is not to tell the principal how to run a school, um, but I would, um, like as the year goes on, particularly since I'm scared we're gonna face this kind of thing again, if there could be ways to be creative or out, think outside the box. Um, I, don't, I don't even wanna bring this up right now because we have plenty of business to work on, but to think outside the box of ways that kids and parents could understand, um, both understand through messaging, but also um, find creative ways for kids to receive um, instruction that might um, translate from the student to the parent as more than not doing anything. I have children, I have students that report home and I'm not suggesting this. Um, the kids weren't reporting accurately, but um, all of us know you. Um, the idea that you were doing absolutely nothing versus having a sub who had work for them is quite different. I mean, I've given some work, and I have given work, and then it's not done the next day, and I'm frustrated. Um, so I, I, hope, I hope you understand I'm like struggling here with my role as a school committee member, but also trying to respond to parent concerns. So I, I appreciate your answering my questions and for being patient with my just blanking out like a cow <laughs> in the headlights. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, moving along to guest presentations, um, Mr. Shapiro, if you don't mind, but I went ahead and teed up first. <coughs> okay. All right. Our first guest presentation this evening is an acknowledgement of the Massachusetts Association of School Committees Legislator of the Year, Senator, Senator Becca Rausch, if you wouldn't mind coming up to the microphone. Um, so this award is to recognize state legislators who have a strong commitment to advancing public and mental health supports for students as Franklin is one of the many communities we represent, we were lucky to be chosen to host this recognition of you. Um, be, since being elected, 
You have fought for our students and their families, been a champion of mental health supports, worked tirelessly for your districts, and we are very grateful for your hard work. I would like to congratulate you, Senator Rausch, on behalf of the entire Franklin School Committee for being selected for this award. Here to present the award is Massachusetts Association of School Committees um, Executive Director, Glenn Kucher, and the current Treasurer Secretary of MASC, Jason Frazier. said any better than you just stated. Um, the advocacy that Senator Roche puts forth on behalf of children and family in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts focusing on their health is extraordinary, but the work um, that's being done on mental health in the state and the desperate need we have for more access to mental health facilities and resources, um, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel with the work that Senator Rush is doing for that. So on behalf of the Mass Association of School Committees, I'd like to present you with the Legislator of the Year Award. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It is, it's such a, I'm so truly grateful um, and deeply honored and uh, particularly honored to be receiving this award here in Franklin for so many reasons. You know, schools are vital to the fabric of our communities, right? Educating our next generations, social emotional growth, as, as we've heard now a couple of times, right? Even combating food insecurity and connecting families with some really needed resources, bringing communities together in so many different ways. I personally am a product of public schools. I'm a proud parent of two public school children um, and so I, I really know firsthand in so many different ways. My father was a public school teacher and worked for state education where I grew up. And, and um, you know, public schools are, are so vitally important. And we've done some really tremendous work in particular, um, just in, in our neighbor to the south in the town of Rentham, securing sufficient funding for that town to finally implement tuition-free full-day kindergarten for every single family in that town. Uh, which had never happened before this year, and um, securing uh, and creating and securing full funding for uh, the first ever state-sponsored youth mental health support text line. Uh, it's called Hey Sam. If you're a student and you're listening, you can text it right now, and there will be a young person on the other line waiting to listen, judgment-free. Um, we've hosted youth legislative forums. <laughs> for folks like Shaw and, and Robin and, and other folks who have zoomed in from all across the district and it's been a tremendous success in so many different ways. And in particular, again, it's such an honor to receive this award here in Franklin tonight. Right? The birthplace of Horace Mann, the founder, arguably, easily, of, uh, of universal public education um, and in a community that's so, so deeply dedicated to supporting young people and um, particularly bringing inclusion and equity into the work that all of you do on the school committee, that all of you do at the state level, um, and that all of us try to be um, the best partners we can be at the state level. So um, again, thank you so much, um, both to the, to the State Association of School Committees and to the Franklin School Committee um, for hosting us this evening. Uh, it's a deep, deep honor. Thank you so much. I'm just going to call just a quick five-minute recess, and we will be back. I call the meeting back to order. Mr. Jakir. Yeah. Okay.
floor is yours for the next uh, presentation. Okay. Um, as you know, I will, actually I can stay here with cameras and people can see it. I can't move anymore. Um, <laughs> as, you, as you know, uh, last meeting, and first off, on September 13th, we did a digital learning um, update and put the plan. And then we talked about a series of plans that will come um, before you regarding school improvement um, from all levels. Last meeting on September 27th, we had ECDC and the elementary principals come to present their school improvement plans. And as part of this kind of school improvement series um, tonight, I'm excited to share that our middle and high school uh, administrators are here to share their school improvement plans for you. Um, and then in October, we'll have a DEI uh, presentation as well as part of that rounding off um, all the plans for the year so that um, you have the opportunity and the community has the opportunity to hear about um, the exciting things that are happening, what we're planning. I appreciate Mr. McNeil mentioned that some of the PD that we've referenced over time has included some of these ideas and goals, and that's been the ideas around synergy and alignment and systems, making sure that they align. So um, with that said, um, we're gonna start with our uh, middle school SIPs. So once again, aligning our systems, right? We try to align what do we value and our core values What's our vision for students? And that um, really comes into play with the portrait of a graduate. So you'll notice um, the SIPs this year include um, folks responsible for the work, the goals that we hope to achieve, and some outcomes that we anticipate will happen. And I think that will make it um, logical at the end of the year when we report out on how we did and what, what goals we met and what areas do we need to continue and, and kind of move forward with. So with all that said, I'm going to use the same example that I used last meeting because I just thought it was just remarkable about the work that our team did. So the day after school ended, our admin team came together upstairs in the training room to meet to plan the next school year. And I'll use the, uh, I'll reference again, if anyone remembers this, Emmett Smith, it was a Nike commercial and he had just won the Super Bowl. I'm going to use it again. I have Because folks may not have seen it on, online last time. Um, but ultimately, he's doing his bench press you know, the next day, and they say, Emmett, are you ever going to take time off? You just won the Super Bowl. You were the MVP. And he racked it and said, I just did. And then we were back at it. And I use that example because the day after school got out, when principals have a ton, and, and assistant principals have a ton that they want to do to wrap up the year, uh, they were in a room upstairs planning and thinking about how we could move the work forward and not lose sight of what we experienced last year and collect and take all the things that we were trying to get better at and get a plan together and build working groups through the summer that met and come together in the retreat as we mentioned in August. So I just would share that again as an intro um, to the work and at this time I'm excited to invite up our middle school administrators. Ms. Lizzie Morrison from Manny Sullivan, principal. Ms. Becky Motti, who is the principal at Horace Mann Middle School, and Mr. Craig Williams, the principal at Reading. I'm Becky Motti. I'm the principal at Horace Mann Middle School. Uh, proud to be a part of this middle school admin team as well as our central office team. And I will kick off things by talking about strategic objective number one, which is our social emotional well-being of both students and staff. 
We have a couple of different strategic objectives and I will just highlight um, for information purposes and also um, just to provide an overview of the work that we're doing across the middle level. So the first is to, we hear the word, or the acronym MTSS, multi-system tier, uh, multi tiers of support. And um, we are going to be looking at a tiered system for screening, monitoring, communicating student progress towards SEL. It's important to do this for academic, but it's also important to do this for social emotional learning as well. One of the ways we are going to do this is through the adoption of a tool called Panorama. We've probably talked about it a little bit here um, in this venue. It's a data dashboard that we're working towards um, putting in place and having our administrators work um, and leadership teams work with it. Um, it will track student data and that will be social emotional learning data but also things like attendance behavior as well as academic data eventually. Um, we're really looking forward to the tools that it can provide for that social emotional learning. Um, it will help us uh, through surveys, but also through that collection of data to make sure that we can progress monitor, work with students, set goals, and then also track that data year to year. So it will be a tool that we'll be able to carry over, uh, which we know is important as we do all of this hard work year to year. How do we make sure it carries over? The other initiative that we are working on is our advisory program. It's something that's been, I think, uh, near and dear to the middle level for many years. We've had across the three middle schools an advisory program in some shape or form as long as I've been here, starting in 2003. Um, we have had different variations of that, and one of the goals that we really had as far as a, t a, a middle level admin team, as well as working with Josh at the high school level, is to really try to calibrate that to create a more common vision for what it advisory is, what we want it to be, what tools we would need to have in order to make that happen. And so we really put some thought into um, not only what that, what we need to do as administrators, but really what the, our entire district needs to do with all of our staff. Um, so this worked um, even starting with our negotiations team last, um, last spring. We worked really hard to really identify it as a part of the day in the middle, in the secondary uh, work day, because that was something that has really evolved into being a very important part of our um, of what we do. So right now, all of three middle schools have um, an advisory program that meets at the start of the school day for 20 minutes. Um, it meets daily. Right now, we have a situation where um, the groups change year to year, so they will have a new group of students and a new uh, advisory teacher year to year, um, and that's a model that you can use as well as having that model of teachers and students carrying over year to year, but right now we're doing every year, we kind of reshuffle the, the advisory rosters. Um, we have an advisory committee that is working towards making sure that some of the planning and some of the, um, some of the work that goes into what is covered in, in that time every day is um, supported by, uh, by an advisory committee so that the teachers have some of that information and some of that planning um, ahead of time. And um, really all of this is done to help us establish some of our goals for advisory, which again, through the work that we started in the summer with the advisory committee, is to help provide uh, those meaningful connections for both students and staff. 
to directly teach SEL, social emotional learning skills, as well as our portrait of a graduate skills, mm -hmm. to make sure that there's a common shared middle school experience. I think we all know that we can work more effectively when we're um, aligned and when we um, make sure that we, we collectively bring the best of what all of our advisory work has been over the years um, together and then also to really develop those compassionate citizens who can communicate effectively and also take an active role in their community. Um, so second step is a research tool that the district has invested in and we are going to uh, use that as a foundation for, um, for our advisory program. And um, throughout the year, we are working with that advisory committee to conduct surveys and check-ins for students so that there's a way to monitor how that's going. We also want to do that with staff so we can get some feedback on how that program is working and just continue to evolve it as, as needed. Um, so looking at our, uh, one of our common goals, which is the diversity, equity, inclusion, and how we're going to make sure that that is um, something that we're working towards as well. Uh, we really have outlined some steps that we're taking to ensure that our practices when it comes to um, working with students is restorative in nature, um, that the work that we're doing is aligned with both the high school, middle school, and elementary school, so sharing that common vision, but then also taking into account the developmental stages of the students that we're working with. Um, we really want to make sure that the practices that we're, that we're putting in place academically, behaviorally, through our um, different uh, processes such as discipline and attendance really are taking into account um, everybody's identity and the differences that we might have, but also that we have a common goal of making sure that we have the most positive learning outcomes for students as well. Um, some of the things that we're doing that are really collectively aligned are um, educating students as part of the discipline process, so again, that restorative nature of what, what, we're, what we're doing. Um, making sure that we have some proactive as well as reactive measures. Um, using things like a discipline matrix, I know the elementary school talked about that, just something that can be a tool where we can really calibrate and make sure that the work we're doing is clear um, and consistent. Um, and then one of the other highlights for the, um, the DEI work that we're doing is also um, continuing on with our resource group. That is something that was started in the spring of 2020, I believe, and um, we'll continue to work with Heidi Harris, our DEI director. Um, that's really a group that comes together to discuss topics that affect students of marginalized groups, and it's something that um, our goal is to have that meet monthly, and um, perhaps for that to start later this fall. Thank you, Becky. I will, I'm Lizzie Morrison. I'm the principal at Annie Sullivan Middle School. Um, do you want to stop for questions in between each one, or do you want us to go through all four? And then just, just keep going. Thing, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll speak to the engaging and rigorous curriculum, and we just had a previous version up, so um, Tina's working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, wait and not skip a beat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is to have a full implement or starting a full implementation of open science curriculum in sixth, mm -hmm. seventh, and eighth grade. Um, so this curriculum follows a storyline focusing on an anchor phenomenon, which is just a shift in um, the current practices or what the, the teachers um, had previously used in the science classroom. So really focusing on establishing routines and questioning and using investigations. So this year, all teachers are teaching two units. Um, sixth grade is focusing on light and sound. 
seventh grade on contact forces and thermal energy, and eighth grade on chemical reactions in matter and chemical reactions and energy. And I can say we all participated in some PD over the summer that was very exciting. I think there's a level of, a high level of enthusiasm in the classroom with teachers and um, students, which is great to see. Um, the second goal that we're looking at is a more consistent civics project. The purpose of the whole civics project in eighth grade is to promote and enhance civic engagement. So first few years, the teachers um, made it work for them in their classroom, and now we're looking for more consistency, um, specifically with the action steps. So what's the outcome of the project? Are they writing letters? Are they looking to fundraise and donate to a charity? Um, and just providing some guardrails for all of us so that the students um, are receiving similar answers when they ask to do one thing in one building and another thing in a different building. Um, the next goal is to support our new roles as um, for Abby and Joe is middle school curriculum leaders, which is very exciting. Um, we're doing walkthroughs with them. Um, they're visiting building-based meetings, mm -hmm. supporting new teachers, which is a great um, kind of first step for them to get in and really be a true coach for teachers who are new to our schools and the district. Um, and we will be creating goals and identifying different benchmarks for success um, throughout the year as we um, learn more about what this, these roles could be. Um, and then the fourth goal within this objective, am I on the right one? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, really looking at the digital learning standards and um, focusing on embedding those standards across all content areas. This is a multi-year plan, just like with all standards that the state puts out, we really need to unpack them and figure out where they best live and um, who's responsible for, uh, for all standards. So this really is and should be a created or a shared vision um, in collaboration with our DLIs, who are um, experts in this area, um, looking for just identifying who can own different standards and re repetition is okay. That will help the students to really um, personalize the standards. So an example is there's a safety and security standard um, where the students are asked to describe and use safe, appropriate, and responsible practices online. And I think all of us can hold that standard as we work with students. Um, as something that we own, whereas a computing devices standard where students are asked to describe a main function of an operating, operating system that would live within just the computer classroom. Um, so those are a few highlights in the curriculum area. All right, and uh, the third strategic objective, high quality instruction to meet the academic and SEL needs of each learner. Uh, we really anchor in the belief that all students are capable of learning at a high level. Um, and that's really what this work is being is, is focusing on. Um, and so really the, the first part of the strategic inif initiative 3A is gonna be focused on training. Um, not only the skills, um, but the mindset to be able to successfully implement a multi-tiered system of support, as well as that tier one instruction of universal design for learning. Um, so we'll participate in ongoing administer uh, trainings through the with the work of Mirko Chardon, someone who has been author of Equity by Design and part of someone who's part of the Novak group. So we're excited for those opportunities. And with that, then be able to um, take that training, take that knowledge and understanding to train our staff um, uh, throughout common PD experiences um, and then build the skill set of teachers through that those observations. Um, that will be sort of the, the training and while the training is, is occurring, I think we're, we're going to be taking a deeper look at some of our practices that are already in place 
ones that are aligned with the system of supports um, and make sure that everything we're doing really works in with that synergy um, that, that we've been talking about as a district uh, for um, the past few years. Um, the, the next piece of that in terms of 3B um, is really focusing on, there's the training piece and then there's the actual use of, of data and becoming really establishing that data-driven culture um, in which we're going to be implementing consistent pre-K through eight, so working with our elementary uh, uh, schools with the screening tools and schedule by level, um, making sure that we have um, established data protocols in practice and then sharing individual student assessment progress um, with our academic and multi-tiered system data teams uh, for intervention planning. We're definitely in that process um, and, and utilizing, we're excited to be able to implement and utilize Panorama uh, in order to be able to use that and serve as the warehouse for all, all of the data, both academic and social emotionally and behavioral that we'll be collecting. Um, and then use that data to not only just have the adults know of uh, this is where you are, these are your strengths, but really be able to communicate and have it so that the students are aware and so that the students can take ownership over their next steps um, where, where, the, where they're part of the decision-making progress for the uh, process for their education. All right, and that takes us to the fourth strategic objective, um, focusing on effective two-way communication to support students' um, learning. Um, the first piece of that was strengthening commu community partnerships, and that's an ongoing. Um, we are excited this year to add a social worker role to the middle level. And so part of her um, beginning this, in this role is identifying what resources are out there, what different supports. So looking at um, students with food insecurities or um, needing support, um, signing up for a sports team if they're looking for a scholarship. It really could be anything and we have many students and families with different needs. Um, so she's putting together a resource for all of our schools for then our counseling staff to be able to use um, to support the students. Um, so that could be connecting with the Food Pantry, the Safe Coalition, the YMCA, DCF, um, just to learn about what's available um, at this time for our, for our students and families. We also are excited to have um, a dedicated EL teacher at our middle schools so that we can have them there to support the students in a more consistent manner. Um, they're supporting us with um, quicker translation services and um, really advocating for the population of students that, um, that needs it the most and for their families. So they're joining team meetings and truly um, partnering with all of us at the building level to um, support these students. And then the final goal that we have is to um, re, um, reinstitute student-led conferences at the middle level. It's something that I think we've all had experiences in our different roles. Um, here in Franklin and with the addition of March conferences added to the calendar, it provides the prime opportunity to have um, the more traditional uh, uh, parent, guardian, uh, teacher conferences in the fall and then work with our students for them to be really an active part of understanding their progress, their areas of strength, their areas for growth, how to talk about that and the work that they've done over the year and then be a part of those conversations when we have conferences in 
um, I believe it's March, mm -hmm. um, so our spring conferences. So that will definitely take some time. And again, this is an opportunity for us to take the different ways that we've approached student-led conferences across the three middle schools and really bring it together um, so that it can be a, more of a shared common experience for all middle school students. Perfect. I'm going to take questions, comments. Camille? I'm excited about student-led <laughs> I'm sure my middle schooler will be. <laughs> Dave Kellyan? All right. Uh, thank you all uh, very much. I had um, a couple of questions. Uh, this one could be answered by, by anyone in terms of the panorama, and I apologize this might have been addressed previously. We talked about it kind of tracking students along the way. Uh, how long are we tracking mm -hmm. that data for, for the students? So it's a 6 through 12 initiative as far as having the student information, um, and it will move 6th grade through 12th grade. And so we kind of talk about it in terms of like behaviorally as SEL. Um, one of the first things that kind of popped in my head, reliving my childhood, and I know I kind of had, you know, like a couple of years that weren't the best. Um, you know, I'm going to blame external factors. Um, I want to make sure that, you know, like when we're kind of tracking the student, that something, you know, that's happening outside the classroom in sixth grade uh, isn't, you know, it's more of a blip than necessarily a trend that's going to impact them in seventh, eighth, ninth, right. and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, a lot of these uh, apps, especially Panorama, uh, love what we've been hearing about the past couple of meetings with sure. are fantastic. Um, so, uh, that's kind of what. I'm sure everyone's kind of thought about this as well, but I just wanted to kind of throw that little bit of a caution mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. That's, oh, go ahead. You? That's just one, we've talked about that as well, and I think right now we do have access to all the different information, it's just in many different places. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. talk to the previous teachers, we look at the cumulative folders, we look at scores from a number of different, you know, um, <coughs> topics within the elementary. So now it's, it's just all in one place. But we see that when we're looking back through student records of, um, you know, this may have been a challenging year for whatever reason, um, but it definitely doesn't like, leave a mark on, on the student as they grow up. I think we, we understand it's all about learning and yeah. moving on, not necessarily like a, identifying them as a challenge. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's I can relate as a kid who I think I would have floated in and out of a variety of different um, areas as being you know tier two meaning that I might have needed a little extra support maybe it was attendance one year or one month or one day and then another day it might have been my my scores if we had state testing back when I was uh, in school but um, the idea is really um, students fluidly float in between um, a variety of areas so what could be attendance in one moment. It gives us the opportunity to work. The, the focus is more on we've noticed that there is an area where we can we need to help support a student further. And rather than look through five different databases, how do we uh, how are we able to readily use that information to help students and partner with families and say, hey, this is an area that we've noticed and this is our plan. Can we partner together to help your students? So I think flexibly, um, the spirit of multi-tiered system support is less about tracking and more about what does a student need in this moment that they deserve and should get um, as a support. And I think over time, if we see trends, it's really about how do we keep developing supports that allow all students to, to access and, and grow and develop. So it's a great consideration. I'm glad you brought it up. But certainly, um, you know, that's how we would want to use a system like that. Yeah. 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 Y
No, and thank you all for uh, uh, clarifications. And uh, two other notes too. One, talk about like the shared uh, experiences uh, through middle school. Like that's just fantastic. Um, and it's something too I hadn't uh, really had, had spoken about when we talked at, uh, at the elementary level either. But really, kind of seeing these district improvement improvement plans at each of the levels to kind of create that that commonality. Uh, really ensures a more equitable educational experience, kind of regardless of which school uh, that you're going to. And kind of having all these shared, you know, really like beacons are, are fantastic and incredibly important too, as I know later on down the agenda, we're talking about redistricting. And it's gonna be even more important to make sure that regardless of where your students are, that they're all kind of, you know, having a lot of those shared uh, common experiences. Well, obviously each school is gonna have its own identity, that's great, but that we're kind of looking for also Last note, it's actually more meant to bring up the superintendent's um, report, but if I might ask a question, uh, you reminded me when we talked about food insecurities. I believe an email had gone out talking about, it was an expansion of, of low cost internet or electronics for individuals who are at um, free or reduced lunch levels. Would you just be able to, for those kind of listening at home, be able to kind of speak on, on that a little bit? So advisory is a time where um, students come together with a smaller group. So where their classes might be 20 to 25, the advisory groups are 10 to 15 students um, with one advisory teacher. The, um, the planning document that we've come up is really taking into account uh, feedback that we've gotten over the years from how we've implemented advisory in the past, where teachers want to be able to work with their students to come up with things that they want to do to build connections and to team build and to make sure that they have a connection with that adult 
um, that can carry them through. We sometimes have students go back to that same advisory teacher even if they don't have that, that, that teacher anymore um, to, uh, because that connection is genuine. And um, so they will, what we've done is structure about a week's worth of advisory activities to have some choice. And then what we've also done is decided that our social emotional learning is really important and critical, as well as putting some deliberate and intentional time into ensuring those portrait of a graduate skills are, um, are being worked on throughout the student's educational career. So um, a, a tool like Second Step or some lessons that we've created over time for different um, different topics will also be a part of that advisory experience. So there's the common shared um, activities or lessons, if you will, of what everybody's receiving, as well as the advisory teacher's ability to, if a team likes, if a group likes trivia, there might be an opportunity to, to do that. We've had some walking clubs start because that it's a group that needs to get energized in the morning. And so just different ways that um, groups can come together to make connections, to have some time, um, that's that's for connecting and for also some education of some of those really important social emotional skills. Yep. For example, one of the our, our counselors um, in the last PD day were able to plan an entire week of coping skills lessons um, and I'd be able to identify, okay, what's the stressor and what, what are your options when you're in a class in that moment to help you cope with the stress. Um, I think is, is such a, I was reading over the presentation being like, I could use this stuff, mm -hmm. this is great. Um, Did we use it tonight? I might have, <laughs> uh, I might have a little bit. Um, and so, you know, that type of, of skill building is something that our students might receive. Um, the second step curriculum to start off focuses on growth mindset and so helps students learn about growth mindset to be able to set goals for themselves uh, for a span of time. Um, and, and um, identify pos uh, possible obstacles for those goals um, and what they can do when those moments happen. So these are things that middle schoolers face on a day-to-day -day basis and to be able to be equipped uh, with this, this type of instruction is so valuable. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think these are things that you don't expect to be taught at school, things you learn through life, and if we can get some structure around it, so this then sets them up for success, especially going into high school and as you said, mechanisms. <laughs> I think we all need some of that sometimes. Um, so it's so great. So thank you there. Um, one thing I was very impressed with last year was the civics presentations. I thought those were phenomenal and I'm loving to see that there's alignment across the, the three schools this year as well. Um, is it too early to, to tell us like what the topic might be this year or is that still kind of a work in progress? So the eighth graders really select their own their topics based on what they're interested in so the teachers will do some introductory lessons to get the students starting to think about how to be engaged in your community. Um, so there's a variety of different topics. I think the goal is to continue, if you're selecting a topic that a previous, students in the previous year have already started the work on, that they're kind of picking up where they left off and take it one step further. Um, but I don't think we have an idea of what the presentation will be this year. Stay tuned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can we get this earmark for a mm -hmm. future meeting of this year? And then the, the, around the uh, communication, um, I'll, uh, I'm a, a father of a Annie Sullivan Middle School student, so um, Lizzie, so thank you for being there. I um, just want to give you kudos for just the communication that you've done. Um, it's it's, 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 it's
um, embodying what the goal is and making sure that the folks are aware of what's going on um, and keep connected. I assume all of the principals are doing the same thing as well. Um, but I think that's key, keeping folks aware of what's happening so that you're not caught in the dark. Um, you, can, you can have those conversations with your student, uh, your child, and then not be Um, and then the last one, um, to echo what uh, my colleague had said around the uh, student-led meetings, I think that's an awesome thing to do, um, in the sense that the student is no longer being a observer in these conversations, they're actively participating and really helping uh, shape, their con the, shape their future and, and really ask great questions and, and set them up for, for success. So, uh, so thank you for getting that, I'm looking forward to see how that, that works this year. Uh, thank you all for being here tonight for this presentation. It's uh, great information. And uh, yeah, the uh, Panorama tool and you know, being able to use that to create um, individualized SEL plans for students to uh, track their uh, progress in both sitting from middle through to high school. I think that's going to be um, a very useful, beneficial tool um, for you know, students, you know, teachers, and families. So that's, that's a really exciting prospect that we have here that's, that's being implemented. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, a couple questions. When it comes to um, the restorative practices that you mentioned, um, you mentioned that they're both we aim for consistency with the other um, with the other education levels as well as um, both uh, targeted methods that are tailored for this particular stage of student development. Could you maybe just expand upon that a little bit about how we both want consistency with the other levels as well as more um, age appropriate um, methods? Sure. Um, I think we take a shared approach in wanting um, to understand that any kind of behavior is communication um, for our students. So I think that is consistent across the levels, how what they might be communicating, how they're communicating it, or how we can talk through and use things other than um, just that maybe the traditional discipline practices or discipline procedures is where maybe it differs a little bit. Um, I think that we've, uh, again, it's a shared vision across the middle schools to really um, um, educate our teachers that communicate that uh, behavior is communication and that uh, students aren't perfect and will be making mistakes. It's actually part of the, um, the journey of middle school is to figure that out. Um, and so with that, I think we have a great staff that understands who middle school uh, students are and what they need, but also we want to support as administrators that when uh, those instances happen that we're also looking to look at it, look at it as a teachable moment, look at it as um, an opportunity to um, to revisit what happened or to restore those relationships or the um, whatever the the circumstances might be to restore their um, you know standing in the community really and and where they can also learn that they can make mistakes and then recover from them. Um, and then I think just um, thinking about that being both proactive and reactive and how we put things and supports in place knowing who our middle level learners are, but then also that uh, they're all individuals, so they might respond differently and we'll have to then individualize things as um, you know, issues or um, different moments come up. I don't know if anybody yeah, wants that. One of the things that we're putting into place um, is the, the shift away from that, that idea of like a traditional detention, but having um, actually renaming it um, and rebranding it in many ways uh, and call it after school behavior support. Uh, and what that will look like is the, it, that we have a trusted adult there who's going to work with the student 
to help them reflect about why they're spending time with them and then actually create an action plan for what that what's going to help that student restore the community um, that they that they've impacted uh, in a way that's that's not the punitive but also understands that a middle school student is going to need that guidance is going to need some skill building uh, to really help um, make things right it's not going to be oh I'll apologize and it'll happen they need that adult to, to model it for them Uh, one more question. Um, when taking a look at the at the um, literacy plan review and that process, so what are maybe some of the um, you know areas of growth that we're seeing now that we're hoping to address with um, this plan development and assessment? Thank you for bringing that up because that was actually the one of the goals that I forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I think, the purpose of the review um, is really to—it's a best practice to regularly review the curriculum that we have in place. Um, I was a part of the past, the last English curriculum that was written in 2014, um, and that was a lot of hard work that poured into that. I think it was a three-year mm -hmm. process um, to finish those curriculum maps that were consistently implemented across all three middle schools. Um, since then, for many reasons, we've gone away from those, so it is time to kind of collectively look at what professional development has been offered, what resources are available, what texts are being used, um, what's the approach to, keys to literacy is going to be a huge piece of it because of some common instructional practices that we are all using across content areas. Um, so I think it's just about gathering information and then making the decisions um, as far as next steps go and I really I don't have a good sense of next steps at this point I think we're just in the very beginning of, of the review Anything to add? I, I think just to the idea as well of um, opportunities uh, for what text students are reading you know are students able to see themselves in the text are they are they opening you know the the phrase of doors and windows it, it, you know and, and making sure mirrors and windows um, and so just making sure that that uh, opportunity is there with, with the curriculum that we're offering as well. Excellent. Thank you. Please. Thanks so much for this. And I think that, you know, we also read the, the high school plan um, in advance of this meeting. And so it's so nice to, we've got the ECDC and the elementary under our belt, and now we're talking about middle school, and we've sort of read the high school. So we can we can really see how this is going pre-K through 12 plus. Um, it's just exciting to see and like be able to interact with you like in each little segment. Um, there's a lot of consistency sort of vertically, so from pre-K to 12 plus, um, and also just having the three of you here together, like having all the elementary principals together, it's just like looking at that sort of horizontal through the whole level. Um, as Dave Callahan was saying, you know, if we're looking at redistricting in the future, we are looking at redistricting in the future. And so when we're looking at redistricting, um, to know that no matter which middle school my kiddo goes to, it will be an, a similar experience, it's a similar curriculum, similar social behavioral support, similar responses to things, similar proactive and reactive strategies, etc. So I think that's a, a good feeling um, to have. And I think I just wanted to make a note about um, I noticed when you, all three of you were speaking, if you said SEL, you said social-emotional learning. 
And if you said MTSS, you said multi-tiered systems of support. And I and if you said UDL, you said universal design for learning. And I think that um, that's really helpful. And and I I know those personally, but most people you know in our audience in our community um, aren't necessarily teachers. And so I think it helps. Um, it helps at least with the acronym. But like any any area, any sort of industry, education has their own educational jargon. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And you know, we, 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 we're talking sort of in a group of people that it's here to talk about schools and it's focused on talking about schools. So it makes sense that we're using terminology that comes from sort of that educational jargon realm. Um, but you know, like if we think about uh, the financial industry, which is not my area at all. Like I need financial uh, terminology for dummies and still I need a lot of support with that. Or, you know, the medical um, field has uh, so much um, of their own terminology that I think is not accessible to me personally because that's not my stuff. Or, you know, technology, like when we had Tim Raposa in here and I was like, I need like a glossary of somebody to help me through this because I'm not understanding the words coming out of your mouth. And so I think that, um, you know, you all did a really great job at breaking down the acronyms and I think that's helpful for our community and just to sort of like, like say that we are here to talk about schools and education and so we're using terms that have to do with schools and education and that's okay. Um, and if people want more information, then you know there's a lot of information on the website that's accessible. And um, you know, always going to the teacher or the principal if they have certain questions about what certain things mean. Um, but thank you for your presentation. I think was very um, comprehensive and accessible. And I do have some questions. That's just a long intro. Um, okay, so um, I do appreciate it. Um, Okay, so I think I agree with um, some others who have said uh, the consistency with the civics project was exciting and we can't wait to see those. That's always a highlight to get the kids in here. Um, and um, oh, about panorama, I think, so again, sort of looking at like the pre-K through 12 class that we heard about elementary using panorama um, and now hearing about middle school, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of similar themes but I think the big difference that I heard having a middle schooler is that like the kids will be part of this. So the kids will be, you know, like a second grader is gonna be looking at Panorama, but a seventh grader, you know, they can look at this and that's, you know, maybe gonna help some data-based um, planning as far as their student-led conferences or something. Like they're, they're mm -hmm. saying, you know, these are my strengths, these are my areas to work on because I know it, because of, you know, it's not just like how they feel in that moment, but it's based on like this information that's been uh, gathered. And that's just exciting for them to, I think, as far as like self-awareness goes, um, to be able to have that realistic awareness of, of strengths and areas of need based on uh, evidence. Um, okay. Uh, I, I just have a lot right now. Oh, I think um, Mr. Jaguar, you said something about the tiers in response to um, I think it was Dave Callahan. So you were talking about how, and I think you made a good point um, about, you know, like when you were younger, you might have been sort of floating between tiers depending on high absences or maybe test scores here, or maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All the above. Uh, all the above, right. <laughs> and middle people, I think, right, is, has, is expected, as you say, sort of expected to be a little bit rocky and ups and downs. And um, 
I think panorama is, is where you can sort of house all the information because if, if a kid was just like a, a, a tier two kid, they all, you sort of like pigeonhole them and that's what they always get. And that's sort of like the point you're making, no, everybody's floating between all the tiers. You know, sometimes they might be more support in math for a couple months and then you might not see them for years as far as math support. And so I think that's where it can get confusing though because if you could just sort of stick kids in buckets and keep them there for three years, it would be much easier, right? Because you'd be like, okay, this kid always needs math support, this kid always needs behavior support, but they're not like that. So they're always constantly moving it. So to have something like Panorama that can track that and make sense of that um, is just, I think, absolutely worth the money. Um, okay, I do want to talk about movement break. Um, I've been I've been sent here by a 12-year-old, but um, I've heard things from other other people too who are um, members in our community. And so um, I uh, put a put a lot of um, importance in physical activity, just personally, um, but also in, as far as like learning goes. And I think that um, my understanding is that because of COVID and Correct me if I'm wrong, but because of COVID, there were mask breaks, and then we had mask breaks where kids were outside, and then that sort of morphed into this outside time for middle schoolers. So then, like the sixth graders coming in and the seventh graders who hadn't been in pre-COVID middle school thought, like, oh, we get recess in middle school, and that's just how their brains work. And so, um, whereas the staff knew this was a temporary thing that we had to do because of COVID, and it's sort of become something else because it's in the schedule now. And so I guess I had, I had heard, not just from the 12-year-old, but from adults also, that there was a lot of positive things about this, and that there was, you know, there's sunshine, and there's fresh air, and they're yelling and getting their wiggles out, and they're having social time that middle schoolers desperately need, and they're getting physical activity, and um, I, I heard a lot of benefits of it, and the research supporting physical activity in the classroom is really, really strong. Um, so I guess I just wonder what what happened and why isn't it there anymore and how can it be there again or like how we know middle schoolers like aren't just gonna sit in chairs for six hours so like how how can something like a bright spot like that? I have happen? a twelve year old breaking down my neck every week about this. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're not yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a that's a great question. I think it was not an, an easy decision. Um, I think when you look at the the history of, of the why the movement break started, right? There was el there was definite elements of COVID in which there was the required mass break. There was it was considered the only time in which students might be able to have a snack safely, um, and also when during hybrid and remote or during hybrid instruction when there wasn't an opportunity to really collaborate in a group of peers like there wasn't a class for movement with there wasn't an opportunity for movement within the class um, it was that desperate need um, to, to make sure that we we offered that and then it shifted last year when we started off again needing mass breaks and then when February hit that no longer needed to be put into place but then so we, we maintained that um, the movement break. Uh, I think what we found was were there students who enjoyed it and loved it? Absolutely. Um, but what we also were, was get, we received word of and had to uh, counteract was um, 
that during those unstructured times is when a lot of unkind behavior was occurring. Uh, and often actually, I think, I, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but many of the investigations that I had to do rooted in movement break. Uh, because it was this unstructured time for middle schoolers, we didn't have the play structure of an elementary school uh, to, to put into to put into place. Um, so when we when we made the kind of we were making the decision, working through with with staff, um, I can tell you that what we encouraged was we wanted our staff to read our room, read their room, read this. It gave them the encouraged their professional discretion of if you've got some students who've got the wiggles. If you've got the students who are struggling to participate, it's a beautiful day outside. Do that 20 minute reading, take a movement break, where you as a teacher have control of your classroom to go for a walk, to be outside for that period of time, and then come back and continue instruction. Um, and, and having that be the, the way in which students are encouraged to, to get that movement break, to have that opportunity. Um, and, and as, as opposed to this 15 minute chunk in which all sixth grade is out on using Remington, that Remington field and trying to be able to monitor that effectively was a significant challenge. Um, we knew the benefits of getting movement, but we wanted to find that developmentally appropriate way for, for middle school. doing to ensure um, of that variety throughout their day so that they're not 
um, just sitting down or just um, in front of their technology during the day. If I could add, we did a learning walk last week, mm -hmm. so Becky, in your, yep. in your building, and I think also, so one, yes, it's a good reminder, right, always a good reminder to put that out there and, and not have 12-year-olds come home and say they didn't. <laughs> um, I will right. say that my answer to the 12-year-old constituent at my house is, oh gosh, that'd be a great thing to bring up if you were on the student council. Parental choice on that one. But I will say, too, the, the way some of the teachers designed the lesson, so when we went through two rooms, there was a history class and there was a, an English class. One had um, students working in lit circles, where they had poured out into the hallway, they had groups, everyone had a task, and they were moving, and then the next room over um, had students in and out of the hallway working on a project and putting together a presentation for the class. So I think also the design of a lesson too makes a difference, but your point is um, well taken around how to mm -hmm. just put that reminder up. Yeah. Right, and it can be tier one. Right? right, so like we know kids that might need extra movement, <clears throat> we know kids that must have extra movement and they mm -hmm. might have some kind of accommodation plan or IEP or something, they might have something in place that says they need certain breaks at certain times or certain types of movement before certain types of learning. But um, for, for, for all kids, right. movement's important. And mm -hmm. I think that we'll continue this conversation at SWAC, and maybe, there could be ways to sort of give resources to teachers or maybe have um, PE teachers or something, to, you know, speak at a staff meeting about, sir, I don't know, we're, mm -hmm. we're sort of like talking behind the scenes about that type of stuff because mm -hmm. I think that it really comes down to, I think, like a classroom management mm -hmm. thing. Because when lots of bodies are moving, then they're talking and then it's like, I've lost control of the classroom. But it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, and physical activity can lead to more focus. I'm getting on the soapbox, but I think we agree. Okay. Any resources that you have So there was mention of the, the audit of tiered supports available in each building. Is that like a formal audit, or is that just like something that you guys are always doing? I think you do it yeah, that's something that I think we're we're always doing. This Desi has put out uh, a tremendous amount of resources to help us be able to go through and, and follow that that process. We started it in in a team la in our administrative team last year and looking at um, where our strengths lie and where are some gaps. And I think we want to, especially as we continue to build that understanding of MTS or multi-tiered system of supports and universal design of learning. Didn't want to use the jargon. Um, <laughs> that. Um, I know, right? Um, that you know, will our strengths will become clearer, and our areas of growth will will become yeah. clearer as well. So it's like self-study, self-assessment. Yeah. something we're going to talk about at the kind of the district level because it is pretty broad and I think the <coughs> purpose of the act was more to focus on the funding and the um, grant opportunities that are available and then the curriculum we're hoping is coming next um, but I think that's still to be determined I know that there are pockets where um, specifically Holocaust and 
Um, other examples of genocide are being um, discussed, but it's not in a consistent manager, manner, you know, focusing on different um, factors of genocide, but I think it's naturally embedded. Um, so we'll talk, I don't think that it will lie in just the social studies curriculum. I think that could be more of a shared um, where appropriate, especially at the middle level. Yeah. Um, but I think more to come on that. Um, Tim Frazier and Tina are you know, working on that too, um, to provide more guidance for us. Okay, sounds good. Because I think the way it's written, it says, um, you know, in high school there are these obvious places where we're going to teach it, but in middle school it can sort of be anywhere and everywhere. And mm -hmm. I don't like when I see language like that because I'm like, that doesn't hold mm -hmm. anybody accountable. Like, this is important mm -hmm. for us to be mm -hmm. teaching or yeah. talking about and having these discussions about. And so sort of saying, like, oh, you can read a book over here that's sort of about this. And you can read a book. And it's, like, not cohesive or robust, really. And so I and speaking too with Dr. Frazier about this, um, we are continuing to work with the new legislation. I know it doesn't require every grade, every subject mm -hmm. teaches um, these, but there are moments throughout our curriculum where this makes sense to be explicit, but also included in some of the novels, Counting Stars, or The Diary of Anne Frank, or where it hits on these topics. So it's a matter of like, where does it fit explicitly, either through the US history curriculum or world history curriculum, but also um, gets embedded in the other piece I would mention is our, um, I don't want to use an acronym, but a world of difference curriculum in the work that we use with our students with the Anti-Defamation League um, um, hits on some of these topics as well. So um, what we can do is, if it's helpful, we can prepare some information about this and kind of where, it, where it's um, strategically, um, it can be seen by students within our curriculum and we can share that at a future meeting, that's helpful. I'd like to back up to making sure it's a vertical, you know, right. co yeah. coordination, because as a high school teacher, I think that I'm teaching, and then, you know, I already read that, and there's nothing more awful and offensive for them to be like, I'm not gonna you that again about the Holocaust. It's just gross, so I just would encourage the vertical collaboration between the middle school and the high school so that kids are, um, not feeling like I don't read that same old book again. It's just, just not, not good. So the one thing that I would add on to is that as part of our literacy needs assessment that we're working through all year, you know, we can point out places in the high school curriculum standards where this legislation specifically speaks to that. Um, but as far as the middle school, we, we're trying to really elicit teacher voice in that process to understand what texts we're teaching and where does that fit most authentically throughout the grade level. So I think part of us un unpacking that audit, or not audit, that needs assessment throughout the year, hearing from our teachers, having those folks in to give us some recommendations, we'll have some natural you know, connections to, to this work and certainly can share. Does that forward? Megan? Hi, uh, yeah, I'm really happy about uh, the kids having access to the advisory, that's fantastic. And that um, note about the high-speed internet uh, for you know uh, families that need assistance with that, I think that's fantastic, and it's really, really important to have access to. Uh, the panorama data, right, that that's a, sounds like a really fantastic tool. Um, 
you know, to be used uh, for, for our kids, uh, you know, of their, of, throughout their uh, educational career here in Franklin. And um, yeah, yeah, so I think sounds good to me, and I, I don't have any questions. Thank you. Shout out to Dr. Weber and Ms. Klein who are at home. They'll be joining us later on, but it's important for you to you know, meet us as a team. There's, there's five of us uh, that start up every morning, making sure we have enough staff and welcoming our students into the building and making sure that we're running <coughs> systems that support uh, such a wide variety of next steps. You know? And so hopefully in our discussion tonight with our school improvement plan, you can kind of hear the variety of places that we are uh, looking at, focusing on. Really, and I think a school improvement plan is, is only as good as the focus that goes along with it. There's lots of different things we can do in the field of education, and there's lots of things people can bring up that we're not doing. And that's okay, because you can't do everything. You gotta focus in on like the big areas of our you know, need. And, and to be honest, right now, that sits with our support of our advisory program to meet the social and emotional needs of our students and the work on our curriculum. So that it's guaranteed and viable, and it gives all of our students an opportunity to experience the same types of understandings. If we get those two things nailed down over the course of this year and next year, we then can take some serious inventory on where the adjustments need to be made to improve our achievement, to improve our students' social and emotional well-being. And so hopefully tonight, as you hear from myself, Ryan, and Jen, you kind of get an understanding of where we are and what we're going to be looking at to make decisions uh, in the future to allow for our students and, and families to really feel supported and successful in whatever their next steps are. 
Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Mr. Jagir has done a nice job in aligning our schools. So a lot of the stuff we'll talk about has already kind of been brought up a little bit um, this evening already. But in terms of the first uh, area in social and emotional well-being, I really want to focus on that second uh, aspect, uh, specifically around advisory, and what it is that the advisory at the high school looks like. So for us, it's a 10-minute experience every day with once a month our ability to move to a 40-minute experience. And so that is the same group of kids. I have my reading glasses on because I have some notes here I want to make sure I hit on. I can read them, all right? But I'll take them off too. So the, the point of the everyday check-in, just to give you an idea, the teacher is to welcome the students into the room, give them a smile, say their name, make sure the attendance is taken correctly, we go through our morning exercises, and we have common communication that occurs during that protective window. That's the everyday piece. And so those students and teachers are seeing themselves every morning, and, that can carry, and that's gonna carry on for the time that they're in high school. The groups are a little larger than the middle school. That's because we had to put them in the areas where we can have conversations with walls and acoustics that allowed for people to share. In other models where you have no, you know, smaller groups, but you're spread out all over the building, you end up trying to have you know, five or six advisories in the cafeteria. And it's a really hard place to have honest conversation in a cafeteria setting where you're hearing echoes and multiple conversations. So we're really honoring, okay, so what exactly happens on those extended periods? We already had one, we have another one coming up uh, later this month. So for an example, uh, in our freshman uh, extended advisory experience coming up in later in October, the World of Different students, two of which were uh, honored uh, earlier today as peer leaders uh, with our Pledge of Allegiance, help bring forward ADL su supported curriculum to our freshmen to kind of understand the importance of a world of difference and what does it mean to, to celebrate differences and how, how can we interact in a way that's respectful, really geared towards eighth and ninth grade level students. So that's gonna be the crux of their 40 minutes experience. Sophomores on the other hand are gonna be getting a lesson in self-advocacy, how to write thoughtful emails to teachers when you have questions about things. Because oftentimes we'll get emails from people that'll just say, no, Mr. Hanna, just bang right to the question. And you know, knowing that it's a young person, you kind of have an understanding, but that's really not setting themselves up for success. We have a portrait of graduate skills, we have high expectations, but we need to help them along the way. Crafting a thoughtful, respectful email is something that you, know, you often hear parents say, well, why can't you have this in high school, the laundry? Uh, how, how to you know, finance uh, something without getting you know, too high of an interest rate. What about thoughtful email writing? And so we've taken a lot of that feedback that we received uh, anecdotally in conversations and, and with our school council last year, we brainstormed a lot of things. When you hear people say, what is it that a school you know, should be doing? We're, we're taking that, those topics and we're infusing them into our advisory program. So that's for the 10th graders. Uh, for 11th graders, as most of them now are at an age where they can get uh, work permits and start working, we're working on writing resumes and cover letters. How do you organize yourself to get a job? And we see students come in all the time in the main office asking for you know, job um, you know, licenses uh, to work, work applications, and they're really excited. And so and we feel like, hey, our workforce needs more people, there's no doubt about that. Let's equip them with the skills and understanding of how to organize what you've done to get to that next step. Uh, and, and for our seniors, it's something a little bit more mindful in, in October. We're, we're talking about listening. Not always feeling as though you have to respond. We think that, you know, that this idea of taking a breath, calming yourself, listening to what's, watching someone's interaction, what can you gain from that, right? So there's practices. So I guess the point is, over the course of the four years, you're gonna have four unique, individualized, extended advisory experiences. 
On the daily basis though, and this is the big idea, we talked to it with our staff on the first day of school, look people in the eye, say their first name, smile. And if you get, that's how you're gonna get to know someone. And we've already heard students who have said, hey, this program's going pretty good. People are not complaining about it. And I can assure you, there's plenty of opinions around a, a full-on mandate. Here's what we're doing every single day. The fact of the matter is people are liking it because it's connection. And it's not under the stress of a grade or, or a team or something that you have to do, right? And our teachers have so much responsibility when it comes to you know, their daily curriculum or year curriculum, the college board and the MCAS and all these different things. We protect this 10 minutes and, it, and it's, it's feeling natural and it's feeling positive. And students are saying like, yeah, we like it. It gives us a chance to catch our breath. And, and this is gonna be great. Um, we, we've, we've seen the evidence in other schools that have done it and we're already feeling the transition. It gives us a great time to communicate. So talked a lot about advisory. Why? Because we believe in this importance of SEL. We wanted to kind of share that with you. Now, down as we continue on the list. Uh, it, you know, advisory is one thing, but how do we respond is another. And so Mr. Augusta is gonna talk a little bit about our administrative setup and what does the high school do to support students who may be um, you know, interacting in a way that needs some redirection? And, and I could talk after a little bit about the data, but I'd like for him to uh, share some thoughts on that. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm Ryan Augusta, assistant principal at the high school. Um, I, I think for this goal, establishing consistent differentiated responses to student behavior that will promote uh, student accountability and growth with the opportunity to restore a sense of community. Uh, I was writing down a lot of notes and preparing for this tonight and just kind of reminiscing on the past couple of years of the work we've done as an administrative, administrative team at the high school uh, and then also as an A-team, uh, the administrative team at, at the district level. Um, I think this went back to 2019, 2020. We did a lot of work using a textbook called um, Shifting Gears and it really brought our team, uh, I think shifting our practice and our belief systems and, and looking at more restorative practices uh, as a district and trying to align ourselves just in just in conversation uh, and how we aligned our uh, discipline matrix in our handbooks. Uh, I, I believe that was the 2020 school year uh, to 2020 summer. Um, and so I think that that kind of shifted a lot of where we are today. We do a lot of work throughout the summer as a building based team on um, you know, building our, our matrix, updating it and making any notes throughout the school year of what are some things that we're dealing with a lot we're, and taking a look through Aspen, taking a look at um, the data we have in front of us and how, how often we're responding to certain certain things. Um, one of the things that was added this year was um, a fine for uh, misbehavior in the elevator and damaging the elevator and having a call. Uh, the elevator company come out to that. So just that's one example of some of the things that we shift to and, and how we use our our admin meetings throughout the, um, the school year to try to have conversation about ongoing behavior and, and how to keep students accountable. Um, this year we have our our team of four APs, we are, two of us are housed in each house office. Um, so for, for us, Jen and I share the second floor house office. And um, this year it's been really great uh, to you know, 1,600 students and certain summer students on our caseload and four of us with four different schedules throughout the day and uh, extra, extra responsibilities that are um, tacked onto our, our responsibility list of, um, you know, just our to-do lists. Um, it's, it's hard, it was hard to calibrate uh, being on different floors and, and having different, um, you know, because of different, different schedules. But now I think, you know, sharing a, a physical space with Jen, it's been really great to calibrate um, and pause and just kind of walk, you know, what, five, six feet and, and just check in and, hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I think we spend a, lot, a good amount of time throughout the day uh, meeting with students together, um, having conversations, having conversations with staff together. 
Um, and I think just really working on that alignment and how we respond to students. So there is that um, a little bit more of that shared experience. Um, and so we're, we're consistently responding to students and families as, as you, know, you know, as a team. So um, I know I'm missing a lot here in my notes. Um, in terms of data and trying to develop a consistent uh, tracking system, we use, data, we use Aspen very consistently with our, our secretaries uh, and our admin assistants uh, just to track, try to track behavior in our follow-up. Um, and then we do, in our conversations as an administrative team, we have a lot of follow-up on things we're dealing with. And, and, you know, I know Jen and I, like I said, we're aligned and, you know, pretty, pretty consistently having conversations about what things we're dealing with, but also then uh, bringing that back to the full team uh, to bring Mr. Hannon up to speed uh, and, you know, inform him what some of the things we're dealing with, but then also bring in the other two assistant principals we work with. Um, and then in terms of... Uh, kind of how we're responding with students. Uh, each assistant principal leads an instructional support team. Um, and uh, the behaviors, attendance, uh, and a lot, a lot of the data we, we pull in Aspen and a lot of the things we'll be working with in Panorama uh, are topics at those, at those meetings um, that we have conversations with our guidance counselors, our testing counselors, our nurse, um, and our special education team, team chair and department head. So um, those, those are where we're using you know, that information uh, in making our decisions with students and, and trying to find ways to support those students moving forward. Thank you, Ryan. Um, and yes, as Ryan stated, so our assistant principals are in two separate offices. We've kind of shifted up a little bit of our model. So we have, uh, with our adjustment counselors, each has less students than they had last year, so we can be more responsive to students' needs when it comes to social emotional support. With our assistant principals, we have one that's now acting as a full-time assistant principal, so we have less students per caseload to allow for more consistent responsivity. We feel as though if we can get to things in a, in a manner that's you know, within a couple of days, we have a much greater chance as that's how young people tend to respond best. If it, if it lingers past three days, it's kind of like that never happened or, you know, or it's just too far away, right? But if we can get in there in, the, in, the, in a couple of school days, then that's where we're gonna see great return on reflection in some of those moments. So it's like tier one is we have our home or our advisory rather every day that's kind of checking in, making sure people are in a good space and, and, and look ready for the, the day. And then tier two, when we have certain things that occur, okay, yeah, we have a system that can address it in a timely fashion. And the great work of these assistant principals is, is right in line with that. Um, you know, uh, as I see uh, working specifically, I see Heidi in the audience with our DEI coordinator, we're still kind of like building this, the, the tiered system to leverage that expertise, and that's why it's a part of our goal. So how do we take that background and that perspective and utilize it into interactions that occur between you know, students and students and students and staff and, and within our community? So uh, uh, an obvious resource that's housed right in the main office at the high school, Heidi and I talk every afternoon and, and morning and check in with each other, and we're gonna continue to build capacity with that role as we understand you know, the, the limits of, uh, as a district, leader, uh, but making sure the high school gets a plenty of support uh, when it comes to those things. So that, that's really supporting the students from an SEL perspective. The second is, is our work on a guaranteed and viable curriculum. And I, you know, in, in having studied different schools that have had success, oh, thank you. Um, one of the most important things you need to have understood is exactly what's going on in all your classes to show increase in achievement because you can't make adjustments to assessment policies. You can't make adjustments to you know, uh, particular areas of focus that MCAS data gives us back, that SAT or College Board data gives us back, unless we already have established what it is we do. 
And so Jen's going to talk a little bit about the work that's been going on, not just in, uh, in departments on codifying what it is we do in our classes, and for you to put it in your perspective as school community members. When we come in the uh, winter and share with you our program of studies, what we have now is like a pretty short paragraph on what the class is all about. What we're going to have after we, the completion of this goal will be, as an example on, on the um, goals, is a full unit description with detailed vocabulary, with experiments, with connections to SEL, DEI, portrait of graduate skill sets. This is what is going on in this class. And so when we bring new folks in, sorry if I'm stealing your thunder. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take it. <laughs> you know, but it, you know, like, this is where we're going to be able to um, see, see true gains. And when people join our team, they'll say, okay, this is what we do. Versus right now, we're not quite there yet. So it's a lot of like, and, and Jen can talk about the, the work that the team is, is doing on the side. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Jen Santos, it's so nice to meet you. Um, as Josh mentioned, I just want to share a little bit about how we are uh, creating an engaging and rigorous curriculum by um, making sure that we have a guaranteed and viable curriculum. So currently, teachers are implementing an Understanding by Design Framework by McTighe and Wiggins where teachers are looking at the end result. So what is it that we want our graduates at Franklin High School, what skills do we want them to know and develop? And that's outlined in our portrait of a graduate, and it's also outlined by grade in our Massachusetts state frameworks. And so an example of this great work was last Friday, our English department, I popped by to see what they were doing, and they were in course partners, so ninth grade teachers with ninth grade teachers, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And they were using one of the project rooms, which is beautiful, if you've ever been to the high school, whiteboards all around, and, and they were creating a timeline, um, 9 through 12, and identifying where are these skills being identified, 9 through 12, and where are they being developed. And there's alignment there, and there's calibration there. And from there, they're going to, like Josh said, create these curriculum maps, stage one of UBD, where they're identifying those enduring understandings, identifying those essential questions and skills, what portrait of a graduate skill is being taught here, um, looking at DEI and making sure that how we're conveying these skills and developing these skills is inclusive um, and diverse. And how are we developing SEL competencies throughout as well? So it's fantastic work that they're doing horizontally to align with one another um, through their course partners so that if you should have a, a set of twins and they're in different classes, they're enjoying the same experience and they're being assessed on the same skills. And then similarly, they're going to meet with grade level teachers above them to make sure that they're aligned vertically. So here's a skill that we're introducing in ninth grade. How does that develop and progress in 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade? So we're excited that by 24, uh, 25, that school year, in the program of studies, we'll have that model unit that's linked in our presentation. That will be linked for community members, families, students, and even new staff that we hire to take a look at that and be able to see the horizontal and vertical alignment. So it's really exciting work that they're doing um, in all curriculum areas. And um, the, literacy the literacy review, yeah. So right now, Hill for Literacy is conducting an audit pre-K through 12. Um, last week, they visited the high school and they met with focus groups. Um, and so again, they're going to provide some great data for us to look at in terms of looking at our curriculum and, and just, again, making sure that the programs we have are reinforcing the skills that are needed um, pre-K through 12. And it also affords us the opportunity to say, okay, here are the skills we need. Let's examine the ways in which we are using texts, and are these the best texts to develop those skills? And if not, you know, what, what can we include, and maybe what can we remove? So it's really exciting work um, that we're doing, and I'm excited about it. Thank you, Thank Jen. you.
Yeah, we uh, Jen did a great job last Friday building a schedule for uh, I think every special educator and every English teacher and every department chair to come down to be interviewed in groups no larger than five, I think, or in two different spaces over the course of like four or five hours. And uh, it's a matrix that these folks are experts at, thankfully, uh, because uh, we are asked to do those things from time to time to really gain a true understanding of what's going on in our schools. And then we're able to say, are we reading the books at a high enough level? Should we, should we go higher? Should we have some intermediate areas? Maybe, you know what I'm saying? So uh, great stuff all around. I'm trying to scroll here. All right, so the, the multi-tiered uh, systems, um, you know, this is an area where we're saying, okay, how do we systemize the, the big ideas of advisory and curriculum writing? And so one thing we've done, which, you know, we're excited about uh, in, in the contract negotiations of last spring, is to bring our department heads further into part of the evaluation process, being able to get into classrooms more consistently, give feedback around things that they're seeing with, with our teachers. Uh, we know we have a content expertise, as kind of talked a little bit about earlier in the evening, as a, as a big part of a high school experience. Uh, and we need those experts who are, there are directors and department chairs, to have that perspective to bring to the table. So that's an example of continuing to build multi-tiered systems. Um, and along those same lines, we're just gonna continue to examine, listen to where, where we are, ask people for feedback, and how do we make adjustments? And if we continue to do that at a high level, we feel like that's going to be uh, success in advisory and with our curriculum writing. Uh, and then, you know, finally, in terms of uh, communication, the high school has obviously a wide uh, community with all sorts of different interests. And so we have, like, I would say three or four main ways we communicate. One is through the uh, website, which obviously isn't two ways, that's one way. Another is our newsletters that we send out every two weeks, which again isn't really one way, uh, two ways rather, that's one way, although we do get feedback on the newsletters of what to add. So it's some form of, of two-way communication. Uh, the third and one that we would like to continue to see increased participation is are our monthly uh, PCC meetings, which generally at the high school, people kind of begin to fracture out into smaller boosters club areas or special interests of what it is that their kids are a part of, and that's okay because there's so much that goes on in an afternoon in that place, it would be really hard for you as a parent to try to digest all of the opportunities. Um, there's just far too many in my opinion. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have access to them, but to have meetings that kind of addresses all those things, it becomes too, too kind of centralized and focused. So that's, that's like the third. And then what I would say is, you know, we are, and I believe we practice a very open and honest style of communication, like reach out to us with specific questions. Our guidance counselors are very responsive. Our administration is very responsive. Our teachers are very responsive. And we know that the questions and, and the wants are gonna be nuanced. And so we're gonna need to hear from you individually a little bit about what you want versus us being able to create presentations that are gonna hit on all of you know, the things. I think there was a question raised like, what, what would you want for communication uh, out of a high school? And I have a high school student uh, at home. She's starting her freshman year and it's going okay. You know, there's ups and downs. Uh, I guess I would say I would want some basics, so uh, I'm not really caught off guard with whatever the schedule is. Make sure that she's at school on the right day. And then I would want to know who to reach out to if I had really specific questions about their experience. And I would want the person answering to be able to talk, you know, really intelligently about what it is that, that my daughter or, or any of the students in the school would, would know. And I, I feel like we have the systems for that. 
Our guidance counselors have manageable case sizes. They work with a particular assistant principal, a particular adjustment counselor, and we have systems to support those type of individualized questions. That said, I'm totally open to the idea that we have ways to improve our communication. I don't think that there ever isn't an opportunity to get better. And if there's a want that folks have, I'm happy to listen and see what adjustments we can make. Um, currently, I'd love to like use the PCC model to improve two-way communication, but I know people's schedules are busy. So we have school council where you have parent reps, we have PCC, we usually maybe get one or two people and one or two people online out of, when you send an email to folks, it's like 6,600. So it's a pretty small percentage of folks that, that you know, and that's not like a slight on anyone. I just think that's a reality to people's schedules. And I think the small groups that students are a part of really get communicated to well. So if you're in these, you know, teams or groups or whatever, you're, you're aware of what, what it is that's coming. But so the general summary of our communication goal, again, first to admit, always opportunity to get better. And if, if you have thoughts on that, I'm, I'm wide open to making adjustments. So that's our, uh, that's our school improvement goal. Summary. Um, I'm going to go backwards this time. I'm going to start with Megan. Megan, do you have any questions or comments? Oh, wow. I'm not expecting you to go first. I know. Switching <laughs> <laughs> it up. I usually get to formulate my, my sort of thoughts. Um, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, yeah, advisory, I'm glad, I'm glad you talked a lot about that. I, uh, I think that's a you know, fantastic thing, with, like I mentioned before. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's all I can think of right now. But yeah, thanks for the presentation. You're welcome. Really quickly, too, advisory and the, the general uh, curriculum that's been shared with you as it stands right now, we're going to do another check in January to kind of get some feedback, but was crafted by, first of all, it, this isn't the first time Franklin High had an advisory. There was a, it was like a model that occurred about four or five years ago. We took a lot of the bones of that and just kind of retooled them, and we had seven teachers over the course of the summer who put in countless hours to formulate communications to our teams and how to organize and so there's a lot of work that's been done by um, you know, teaching staff to kind of make this real. And that's probably the reason it's had some success is because it was built by people who are in the rooms doing the work. So thank you, kudos to the team that's organized that uh, advisory. Oh, and I'll just have one more thing. Like, when, when I was a, a student in, you know, in Pennsylvania in high school, we had something similar to this. And I remember really liking that as, as a kid. And it was, um, it was just a sort of a session that I really look forward to every day. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. Please. Uh, just thank you for putting this all together. And again, I think sort of what I said in the middle school, for us to be able to sit here and see ECDC, elementary, middle school, high school, it like really makes a lot of sense. So kudos to Central Office and your team um, and you guys for focusing on that high school piece there. Um, I don't really have any specific questions, just sort of um, thank you, and it all looks good, and it looks like we're, we're on, the, on the right track, um, and I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks. Uh, thank you all for uh, this presentation. It's excellent information, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been touched on, I mentioned with the, the advisory, and um, it's great. Um, with uh, you presenting this information of how it aligns with a uh, portion of graduate goals to really not just uh, quantify student success based on just pure grades, but also really with the, the life skills that we're um, teaching our students and selling them off into the world, how to see Franklin Public Schools are. So that's it's excellent to say. And 
Um, and to that, I mean, you mentioned kind of like cultivating like life skills through the advisor, so and then developing this curricula. So, like, what do you envision the curricula for advisor looking like um, over the next few years? How do you envision that developing? Well, I mean, obviously part of it's with feedback, right? So we're going to kind of see how these lessons go. I think world of difference sticking with the uh, freshman uh, year makes a lot of sense as we have, you know, three or four different schools, maybe more, all coming together to kind of have that experience about what it means to, to be connected to people with different, you know, uh, languages, belief systems, backgrounds, etc. And that's where the world of difference really does so well. I have to say, so the, the treats and, and snacks by the Diversity Awareness Club tonight, we got to go down there for a little while. What an outstanding organization. And that's like the evidence that things are going well. You have 50 to 100 kids. They had a whole wide smorgasbord of snacks. I didn't even have to eat dinner. I ate uh, desserts from uh, all, all sorts of around the world, from India to, um, uh, I think there was something even from the Ukraine and everywhere in between. And it was just great to see them proud of bringing forth um, culture. And I think, you know, if it weren't for programs like A World of Difference, that wouldn't be as available. People would, might not be as proud to share those things. So and we keep that there. And I keep we keep refining what the 40 minutes looks like based on um, the feedback from our students and from our teachers. So I think it's a little too early to project exactly what the curriculum is going to look like. Over the next couple of years, I think the fact that we're off to a start where people are positive about the, the uh, interactions on a daily basis. And you know, if you go back and you look into 1999 after Columbine, one of the most dramatic pieces of advice that you know the, the folks that learned uh, and studied that incident was around interactions where people feel supported and seen and heard. And that's why we've been, I know it sounds maybe simple, but to look someone in the eye and to say their first name and to smile, if we do that every day and we see once in a while there might be someone like myself who's not smiling after I used to, and then we have a process to check. Before having this, there wasn't as much of a guarantee. This, this now puts into place something that's going to give us the best chance to, to see and help people well before maybe they get to a place where they're feeling so desperate. And, and uh, you know, that's a, that's a worst case scenario, obviously, but it's real. And it's one of the reasons why programs like this are supported. So I, I think long term on the 40 minute lessons, we're still kind of crafting that in a way that is honorable to, to the teachers. And uh, in the short term, we're making sure that we are um, existing in a really safe and supportive community. Thank you very much. Um, and then to the, um, the goal of wanting to see um, the downtrend in student behaviors um, through the you know, behavior uh, data tracking process. So I assume that's both at the at both in the aggregate at the individual level. So um, we'll so will we be having data on specific behaviors like to, like over time to try to see like those downtrends and then also will we be tracking outcomes of restorative practices to see to evaluate the effectiveness of those and maybe tweak those over time. Um, I'll tackle the first part of that question. So when you, when we add an incident into Aspen, it always it always has a behavior code. Um, those mirror those mirror the codes that Tessie puts out of what a, what a behavior might be or where it kind of is categorized in our state reporting. Um, so in a sense there, we can, we can organize the data based off of a, an incident category uh, with those numbers and with those, with those behavior codes. Um, so we're able to look at you know, how, many cut class, uh, how many students cut a class throughout a certain month or even a school year or you know, whatever term or semester. We can break down the calendar year um, however we want to or whatever we need to for types of data. Um, and then the second part of your question, I don't know, your thoughts on that, but I, I think in, in terms of um, 
our our follow up. I think you know that that's a it's a little bit harder. I think for us to categorize. Um, I'm happy to chime in as well. Oh, okay, all right. But I'll let you finish. No, I, I think um, I think that's something that we try to again calibrate as a team at, at the building. Um, but I think we try to take a lot of consideration to who the student is, um, what the, what the incident was, their their past. Um, do they get in trouble a lot? Is this is this a repeat offense? Uh, is this something you know, that we're we're able to make progress with? And you know, in that restorative me um, restorative measures, are, are we making any progress with that individual student? So, I just. I, I do think, you know, I, I'm a data person, and I, you know, Josh will be the first one to say that kind of, you know, nerd out on that stuff, but I think that um, in those instances, it might be hard to categorize, just based off of how we are, are working with students uh, a little more holistically, uh, and try to make sure that we're, we're meeting the student needs um, in, in those moments with whatever incident we're dealing with, uh, with that family. So. Also to add, as Panorama becomes a part of our practice, and I think this is, you know, a question was asked earlier, like, are you going to hold against someone a, you know, an indiscretion in, in, in sixth grade? And the answer to that is, you know, no, assuming that, you know, th that whatever it was, wasn't like really disruptive and overly dramatic. But one of the things we've heard over the last couple of years is like, this behavior has been going on for a while. And we would find out that they, that these students were connected at an elementary school, then a middle school, now a high school. And we're just hearing about it in ninth grade. And the families are saying this has been happening for a while. Panorama will give us a little bit of insight onto what maybe interactions were occurring so we can kind of understand what plans we put into place to support maybe this conflict that maybe it's best if those folks, you know, aren't necessarily with each other at all times or, or this is an actual habit of behavior that is not in line with our expectations. And so I think, you know, when it comes to kind of the data of, of this as we begin to use this new tool, it'll help paint a picture that I think will uh, be able to address some of the feedback we've received uh, regarding students' interactions. Excellent, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and then just one last question. You mentioned the um, communication strategies and how now you're open to areas of improvement. So like, what would you say is like the ideal level of family engagement and how um, that, that you, would, you would like to see at MHS and how do these uh, initiatives kind of serve to get us on track to that, uh, to that vision? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I put a survey out my first uh, summer here to families in Franklin High School to ask what it is, what you would like to see as a first-year principal, you know. And the responses were wide in a variety. Some were like, I don't really want to ever hear from you because <laughs> if I'm here to you, things aren't going well. And others were like, well, we should have, like, daily email. And uh, obviously everything in between. And so I guess my answer to that question would be kind of, I think, ideal community participation would be whatever the community is interested and comfortable participating in. I mean, we get great support at our events. We have, like, caring community members who have a high interest in, in the success of our school and in our program. So I don't know if there's, like, huge room for growth, per se, but I guess my only ask would be that they would reach out and let's have a conversation uh, about whatever questions you have so we can understand your perspective and strategize a response. I'm always open, and our administrative team is always open to uh, a phone call or uh, an interaction. And so beyond that, I wouldn't want to ask parents to be doing any much more than providing for their children to get to school on time and support them and, and, and trust our work with them. And I think that's, that's about the, the best I could say, and that's for me personally as a parent, too. Like, I'm going to do the best I can to support the school and support my kid, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I guess... I would want to know, is there something we're not doing as a school 
that other schools are or that they would really be helpful. And if that's the case, I'm happy to create a solution. But right now, I feel like we have a bunch of different ways we communicate. And overall, anecdotally, the feedback's been, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, or, or even better than that, yeah, it's great. But either way, we're, we're trying to get better at it every day. And I, I, I just wouldn't want to proclaim to be an expert on what it means to have um, you know, community engagement. What does that look like? I would love uh, for our school to have opportunity for parents to commit a bit more. But from a standpoint of like developmental age-wise, they're not going like, to be volunteers in the classrooms. We do have a school store where we might be able to flex in some parents to help work at the school store during lunch. That's kind of a long-term goal, but we also have quite a security system that is complicated to navigate during the school day. So trying to be realistic along with keeping the building uh, secure in, in a way. So I don't know if that answers your question. Or not. If I can make a plug just for some information I shared last meeting around just communication in general. And my, I encourage, I'm also a parent of a freshman, of um, communicating with the people closest to the question or the concern or whatever it is, is the best way to get um, the quickest response or the, um, the most detailed information is really working. Um, sometimes um, folks may, might reach out, but might reach out to a broad spectrum of people in a variety of different roles. And I think I would um, really encourage, we put information on our website, we'll continue to push that out. But just if you're looking for information about something happening within the classroom, reaching out to that classroom teacher. If you're thinking about an incident that occurred, maybe it's behavioral, maybe it's reaching out to the assistant principal of the school. If it's uh, something to do with class, it could be a guidance counselor or a teacher. So those types of things, I just think being mindful. And one thing I've been trying to do to prepare my student for um, the future lessons that will happen in advisory is coaching him on how to email his teachers and start to resolve his own um, questions and, and problems and try to figure that out. So. Um, those are just ways I think that help, but certainly uh, there's no shortage of opportunities if students are involved in student life in school or beyond where uh, parents can engage and, and certainly uh, learn more. So um, we keep that in mind and I think we have to keep asking the question so we can continue to grow. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, no questions, just a couple comments. Um, so thank you once again for, for coming here. It's, it's great to see everything come together um, from DC all the way to the high school level, and just seeing how it supports the district goals. Um, I think it really sets the foundation for these students to really excel and grow. But where I see the, the, the really great potential is, is really the dividends that we'll get in the years. I think this year sets us up for really the good foundation so that when they do move up to the next level, be it a, a grade, be it a, a, a level from elementary, middle, middle to high school, we have those kind of learnings and, and structure in place, which includes Mr. Jaguar. You, you definitely struck, we're focusing on the systems that are will help, help us, and I think this will really set these students up for success and be able to start in a higher place the next year versus where they are today, and we'll, we'll make things easier for you all uh, to come. So the, the goal of reducing behavioral issues, I think that will help because we set that structure so, so thank you, and, and really, I'm looking forward to seeing how this year goes, but I'm more so looking forward to see how, where we start next year um, as a result of the work that we're doing right now. So, so thank you all. Actually, to you know, build on uh, what my colleague uh, was saying, I know uh, Dr. Hearn was often fond of talking about it being an iterative process. Um, and uh, so it is really exciting to see, you know, when we talk about 
um, you know, so many of the designs and the alignments with the curriculum that you know we really are just continuing to improve and look forward to you know to, to next semester and to next year and the years after that. So it is really exciting to kind of see the foundations that are already being built. Um, and, and that are working well, and, uh, and then to know what could be coming down the pipeline. Um, I also I loved uh, the, the thoughtful design behind the advisory. It was it was great to hear, um, and it's definitely it's a uh, my daughter just kind of you know uh, entered her own advisory program in the sixth grade, and uh, it's, it's something she already kind of comes home and, and talks about. And it's great to to hear uh, you know, what's already being done. I love uh, you know the concept about uh, the emails. Uh, I wish some of my coworkers kind of went through that same training. <laughs> it would be fantastic. And the financial literacy piece as well, uh, because you know when we kind of later on uh, in the meeting, we're going to talk about some of the NISC resolutions. And one of those resolutions talks about like financial literacy uh, education. And when I was kind of going through the packet, like that's something that that is so important to to be able to talk to to students about you know just basic financial literacy. I remember. Um, guy I worked with on the first job right out of college, he went and got a brand new car, and he thought it was a steal, because he didn't have to put anything down, and, and it was, you know, it was all this, you know, uh, great rates, until all of a sudden he got that first bill, and it was like a 23% interest rate that he was paying on a car for seven years. Um, so he also would have, you know, my co-worker would have done well uh, <laughs> in a program like that. Um, Something else too, I want to talk about in terms of panorama. Um, you know, so we, we, we've talked about it a lot uh, over the past couple of meetings and about all the great potential uh, that it has and it's really kind of streamline how we track and monitor our students. Um, but uh, during the middle school um, presentation, we also talked about some like the tried and true methods of simply just talking to, to the teachers, you know, former teachers and such. I want to make sure. Um, once you know when we when we are kind of you know fully into panorama, that you know we're still relying on some of the old school, you know, uh, you know kind of just you know, walking the streets, talking to the teachers, uh, methods. Correct. And this isn't just kind of the end all be all. This is just an easy way to to, to pull in oh, all that information. Look, of course. I mean, I think we've learned the last couple of years. There's a lot more power in a meeting like this where we're together in the same room than on a computer, right? Uh, the reality is we do have turnover in positions and people leave and go in other places and it's important to make sure that that information is shared somewhere so it doesn't just go with a human being. But the best way to understand how things are going and who's who and how can we support each other is face-to-face -face communication. That's never going to go away. This tool just helps. There's a lot of students. I mean, there's almost, you know, almost 1,700 kids at Franklin High School. That's a lot of humans to keep you know, any type of organized track of, I'll say, we're not really keeping track of them, but you know, there's, there's, a, there's a record, there's like, okay, what are they up to, what are they into, this and that, and uh, it's important to have, I think, something more than just word of mouth, um, but obviously the, the communication that occurs between the middle schools and the high school and between teams is really important too. Okay, uh, just to jump into that, and, you know, and I was talking about our instructional support teams, um, so when we lead that, we lead that meeting, we bring, you know, just for example, I have six tabs open uh, on my Google Chrome just for that one meeting uh, to find the information in those different places. Um, I think Ms. Morrison kind of made a, a comment about that, that we, we have access to all this information now, but it's more um, collecting it in, in a more shareable manner. So when we get to those moments, we're not using six different tools at once to, to find that information and to be able to then have the conversation. Um, so in, in my prepping, prepping my team for that meeting, um, you know, making sure they have all the links and they have all those things. I think this will just be 
really streamlining that process to share that information. Um, I really, you know, knowing my team very well, I don't see a lot of us shifting our, our follow-up of going in person. I know my adjustment counselor, she makes several phone calls to middle school adjustment counselors uh, to, ask to ask about students that she's meeting right now for the first time in, in ninth grade. So um, I don't see a lot of those practices shifting. I just, I do think that you know, the tool will, will put the, the information more in front of us, uh, make it a little more accessible. Um, just to be using in those moments with those those conversations. So. The, the yeah. other component to this is it's you could survey students, and then the surveys get collected back to Panorama. So when you start to ask questions to kids, you can start to categorize information more effectively, and it's all within the same system. So when we start to ask kids questions, like we would with DECA, we talked about that early childhood, where there's some ratings, and DESA at the elementary school, as do you hit developmentally students in middle and high school, asking them directly, as opposed to a teacher rating of who they might have one-fifth of their day with, makes sense to have student in, in, input. So that's another layer to the information that's available as well. So just wanted to share that there's other components to this uh, in addition to what uh, was discussed. Thank you all. Really, really, truly appreciate that. I'm mean, really excited too about um, just the, the ease of being able to, to take a look at all that, that data. And um, one other kind of question, actually, I think this might be more geared towards the superintendent's office. Um, so now that we've seen, you know, everything from, from ECDC up to the high school level, um, at the last meeting, I kind of talked about uh, how we had those strategic objective number five. Yep. That's going to be discussed, you know, the, the next meeting. Um, unless I, I missed something along the way, it, it seemed like each one of like the ECDC elementary, middle school, and high school, uh, no one was kind of hitting on that strategic objective number five. Um, what I, would, I might suggest in the future is that if we do kind of have you know one of these systems that is kind of integral and is going to mm -hmm. hit on each one of these districts, if we might be able to front load that so that way we can see it well in advance and, and also have you know opportunities to see how you know the high school is going to be able to integrate you know 20% of the, the objective. Um, it's kind of you know for better or worse you're stuck with me through at least one more round of these. Uh, and so uh, so I would I would love to, to see that uh, you know front loaded before we start kind of getting into some of the finer details. Understood and the goal is to have five goals shared by each le each level and have that. This year, because we uh, were shifting and having more intentionality around it, we've said in the past where we've only shared four goals, and we had DEI as a bottom qualifier that says each of these goals has pieces of it embedded. It felt like this particular at this time, it made sense to have a DEI presentation um, prepared, um, but I do see the point, and, and the goal would be next year, we've included what these topics mean. Starting next next meeting, share some of the goals that we're setting forth, developing an action plan that has goals for each level, and then next year at this time, you'd be seeing the middle school goals related to, to that work. Um, and then uh, maybe it's included in each of those four areas, but ultimately we, we, can, we can do that in real time and have that just be part of the school presentations by level. But we're trying to stage this out and trying to provide information that um, is manageable. And it was one of these decisions that that we made, and particularly I made, was to say, if we're gonna be explicit about that work, maybe we need to dedicate time to it um, separately, but ultimately it should be part of what is presented by our administrators. So this time next year, 
you can expect to hear more about those initiatives by level um, by our admin teams. Thank you. Yep. Um, first, I'd like to say I appreciate your comment, Josh, about um, that the way people group generally in high school is through their clubs or their sports. Um, because I like the newsletter that it's one page and it's the it's visual too. It's not. I get so much that's text, 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 and we're overloaded with information anyway. Um, and I do find that the smaller groups do communicate. And your newsletter doesn't have to be all things to all people, where people start to ignore it or they just you, you can't remember where you read it. So I appreciate the way it looks and that it's colorful too, because it can get hard to keep looking at. Calibri font for everything, that's black and white, everything. Um, and then I wanted to comment on and encourage the, um, the guaranteed curriculum and the vertical and horizontal alignment and for parents who, because that might seem like jargon as well, but horizontal alignment is meaning that, well, think back when to most of us went to public school. If you got Mrs. Jones for English, she might test your whole grade is based on vocabulary. And then you might go to Mr. Smith and then his whole class is you're reading one book. And you can't, um, I don't love the argument about that if you have triplets in the district, they're getting the same thing. That's just me personally because I've heard it too much for eight years. But because um, we teachers would argue, well, I don't want all of them to get exactly the same experience because if you extrapolate that out to college, then every college kid is gonna talk about the Great Gatsby in exactly the same way, and they have no other perspective, and the teacher can't. So there's a beautiful balance that I'm encouraging and gonna keep encouraging of the reason why our state standards are the model for the United States is because they are based on skills. It's not, you have to teach these 10 books, or you have to teach these five facts, but they're based on skills. So it allows not only for um, students to know that they're gonna have um, a good experience in each class, but also for those new teachers who come in. Most of us, when we became teachers, it was like, you're teaching these five books, good luck. And there wasn't a curriculum, you would just have to make it up all yourself. Um, so the, and also the idea, you're not teaching a book, you are teaching the skills and the beauty, and I'm speaking for the teachers, I'm on behalf of the teachers, the beauty of being a teacher is, you do come to my classroom and there's a certain little flavor. And I'm teaching those same skills, but I'm teaching with my favorite poems. Or this year, I might use something that's contemporary because it relates to something else. So that the, we want students to have an equitable education, but we don't want them to have the identical education. And sometimes the weird thing that your teacher loves is the thing you remember. So that beautiful balance of making sure that they are taught the skills, but that the teachers, and that the teachers have time to collaborate to make sure that they're guaranteeing the basic parts, but that they still get to, you know, have this particular flavor and their passions and their academic freedom in their classroom. So that's, I'm not, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, <laughs> but that's more to, to help um, unpack some of the, the language. And then the vertical integration is to make sure that when you, ha when you go freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, you're not learning the same thing every year. You're not like, oh, here we go again with the same thing. That you are making sure that certainly there's skills that are iterative and you have to keep working on them, but that you're not 
bored out of your mind because you're learning the exact same thing every year. So that's you should go back to get your license to be a principal and run a school. Okay. <laughs> I do believe that there's a balance. Uh, you know, great teaching is an art and a science, and um, we we obviously honor that, and we want our that we want the creativity to be there, but we also want there to be some moments that are that are similar in nature. So, but I, I'm with you. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs> Jen, I think I have a question. I think this is for you. Um, I follow a few of the clubs online. Um, is there a complete listing of the available clubs for all of the high school and like who to contact if you're interested and when they meet? Yes. So if you go to the franklinps.net website, um, there is a club webpage, and we update it every year. It lists all the clubs, the mission of that club, who the advisor is, contact information, when they meet, for how long they meet. Um, so it's all there. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, great. Thank you. And Denise, just because you brought it up, and Jen sitting here, she deserves a tremendous amount of credit. She took on the managing of clubs from how much it costs to participate to all the advisorships and all the expectations to create a true uh, and, and our club fair this past year was fantastic Jen has led that she's made adjustments she's done really good work with a whole bunch of human beings that are trying to do the right thing and they need to be organized in a supportive way and Jen's done tremendous work with thank that you. so thank you thank you I second that <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome I really enjoy following them and they, they do such a wonderful job so absolutely yeah you have one, one more thing. yes um I knew because that's why it's good for me to go at the end sometimes because I can think. So I think thank you for reminding us or reminding me, um, Mr. Hannah, about um, having the department head take on more of a role in the evaluation <coughs> process because it makes so much sense because of the content experts. And so I think, in my opinion, securing the advisory period and looking looping in those department heads into evaluations were big wins in the most recent teacher contract. That's something that we were really pushing from. Um, pushing forward behind the scenes. And I think you said something about just that 10 minutes to smile, to say their name, and pronounce their name correctly, make eye contact, and sort of get that get that read, you know, day after day after day after day, um, that you can really, as a human to human, notice some differences. And I think that's, you know, panorama I'm so excited about. I'm a nerd person, data nerd person also. <laughs> Having a dashboard of numbers would be really exciting to me, but that like one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, eye to eye, smile to smile connection every day is like really critical. And it's not just warm and fuzzy. It's like the research shows that no real learning happens without connection. Yeah. And we know about the kids that don't feel belonging in their school. We know some of the outcomes of things that can happen with, with kids like that. And we don't want that. We want every kid to have some kind of tether to school. Maybe like, ah, I don't like this one class, but you know what, this one, she gets or, you know, I, he, he asked about my dog every time, so he's not that bad. So, you know, like those little things like that, like that's really what makes the community, right? It's like the, the people feelings. Um, so that's so important. And then I think just to, to jump either ahead to next week or to what somebody else had said about the culturally, culturally responsive and inclusive practice repertoires and skills that were mentioned in the um, 1C equity action planning piece. Um, <coughs> How is that going to be captured in the teacher evaluation process? Like, is that are those are those sort of going to be hits on 
the rubric or part of conversation. And then I guess as a follow-up or maybe related is, uh, and this might be to central office actually, are Franklin Public School staff expected to write smarty goals, which is the new thing, or are they writing smart goals? And like, is that negotiated in the contract? Like, like how's that looking, that equity and inclusion piece? So smart, it's, it's smart goals, it's not smarty um, in the contract. However, someone could certainly propose a smarty goal if they chose to. Um, and the second part of that question was? Can I actually re, re, yeah. uh, take my own advice and like say what smarty and smart is? Sure. Smarty is not the candy that I buy because I won't eat it on Halloween. Um, that's a different type of smarty. This type of smarty is um, S for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound, or time-based, is that the take? Um, that's smart goals that all teachers and educators are writing, right? And so smarty is those same smarts plus um, inclusive and equitable. And so that's sort of like a, a, a newer tide that's, that's coming in some places. Um, so, sorry. so we continue to, the first thing we've been trying to do is try to build out our teachers' understanding of what these terms mean. We've heard it mentioned a few times. Uh, we hope to hit on some of this next week, so I don't want to steal the thunder of that presentation. However, uh, for example, our elementary teachers participated in the K-5 elementary teachers participated in, in the anti-bias building blocks, for example. So starting to build people's knowledge base and understanding um, hopefully leads to um, a future where we develop those goals and have more um, explicit goals around there, but ultimately what we are trying to do is build a lens as well. So um, not just a specific goal someone could have, but trying to develop a lens around how do we look at data? What pieces of information are we looking for? And trying to, to build that in any goal we have. Um, and that goes back to what we have done the last few years is how does that work? How does the lens of equity kind of, um, how is that seen in all different aspects of what we do? Um, everything from how we register students, um, how they their first interaction as a family when they enter the district is if they don't speak language, how are we accessing that? And then if we think about student, uh, students with, from a teacher perspective, how are we setting up goals that are designed to allow all kids to rise? So maybe not just one population or just saying I hope that 50% of my students beat the goal, I'm not worried about the other 50. Um, we try to really look at how do we set goals where growth uh, uh, across the board is the goal for each kid and it might look a little different. So those are just some examples I give off in, 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 the, in this question, but certainly I think as we move forward and continue to grow as a district and evolve, these types of practices um, will start to, to uh, manifest themselves in different ways. Yeah, and I definitely think there's sort of that like absorbing the information and being exposed to the information and um, and you know, a lot of educators will choose to incorporate these things in their practice. And um, I guess I was wondering, and it's not really an answer. It's not really. I'm not really asking for an answer, I guess. But just like as we're looking forward, and as we're talking about building um, inclusive practices in the district and talking about equity more, um, you know, like down the line at some point, like how is this going to come out in evaluations? Because some um, educators are going to do it more than others. And you know, if we're if we're really looking at like as a district, this is what we're expecting. As a district, this is like what we value and where we want to be. Um, then at some point. Right. We should be evaluating. So when we about talk about understanding, you know, thinking about 
how we structure lessons so that all kids can access that information right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I know we talked a little bit about UDL earlier, but mm -hmm. certainly like that's like the first stage. When we had our keynote, that was one thing that was mentioned was really around how do we design instruction that allows each kid to come in and we remove those barriers and every kid can come in and learn. So the first tier in that is engagement. So how are we creating relevant experiences for kids? I talked a little bit about this last meeting, but certainly that would be an area for me that you might see um, continued work that actually drills down into a teacher level, mm -hmm. um, how we design lessons that allow and account for all kids as they enter the room. Yeah, I mean, we do we do evaluate teachers on teaching all students. That's the um, that's the second element to the teacher rubric is all about that. So um, that's being has been done, will continue to be done. Any types of evidence can be shared, like how are we inclusive? How do we support all of our students? What are we doing when students are in one of the three places, either ready to move on, right in the right spot, or need a little bit more support? So that's that's ongoing um, and, and has been for a long time, and will continue to be just as a Point of reference. Can we highlight it and maybe have it as a school improvement goal to even refine that practice more down the road? Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, again, in, in the writing of this curriculum, there is specific SEL and DEI skills that we are asking to be highlighted. So we know that there are windows and mirrors in, in our experiences so students can see themselves and others and learn about themselves and others throughout this, which I think is true inclusivity. Uh, and true equity is like, how are we assessing students? How are we creating opportunities for them to show their understanding in multiple spots? And, and that's all a part of that uh, second standard of the teacher rubric, just as an addition to that. Awesome, thank you. And the one other thing that popped in my head, that model unit was so impressive. I clicked on it because I'll click on any link. And I was like, ooh, am I supposed to have access to this? And it's like, oh wow, it has all the five competencies tied in, the portraits of guys. It's like all there in one little package. It's really. Um, has the Substance Abuse Task Force looked at this, their representative 
Just input from them, I guess. I would say, like, I, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I have, um, and Mrs. Morano has looked at this as well. Okay. One thing I would point out is we tried to look for consistency. You may remember, recall last meeting, we had um, our tobacco use um, school um, policy that came forward and it talked about some of the descriptions and we, we saw an opportunity to review this while it was um, part of our discussions more recently to make sure that it included some of the same types of information and examples and make it consistent so that there was some alignment on that work. Those are the big changes. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, all right, roll call will come on the motion. Camille? Yes. Jay Calhoun? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Lee Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Denise Spencer? Yes. All right. Motion to freeze. All right. I recommend approval of the following resolutions. Okay. Well, we have to go through each one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, resolution one regarding sanctuary laws for transgender students, sponsored by the Lexington School Committee and co sponsored by the Worcester, Somerville, Grafton, and Franklin School Committees. Whereas the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has a long history of standing for civil rights, including advocacy for a Bill of Rights and the United States Constitution, and whereas Massachusetts codified gender identity as a protected class in the 2011 Act relative to gender identity, and whereas all children deserve a safe environment in which to grow up, and whereas some state governments are now criminalizing supportive medical care for trans individuals moving to bar families from traveling to access such care, and otherwise violating the civil rights of trans children and their families, and whereas the defense of the civil rights of the historically marginalized is contained within the first article of the Massachusetts Constitution right of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. Therefore, be it resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls on the great and general court to join with other states in the passage of so-called sanctuary laws to ensure such children and their families have the power of enjoying in safety and tranquility their natural rights and the blessings of life is guaranteed by the, by the Constitution of the Commonwealth. Rationale, the 2011 passage of the Act relative to gender identity marked a Massachusetts commitment to the civil rights of transgen transgender residents. Laws recently passed or being considered in other states would put into question this protection, as some such laws call for families to be prosecuted for seeking medical treatment for their children, even across state lines. This is a profound violation of the civil rights of these children, and it increases the potential harm both to them and to their families. In response, a number of states are considering so-called sanctuary laws, which would shield families from such, protect, from such prosecution and extend to those children the rights guaranteed to them by Massachusetts law. As of the passage of this resolution, no such bills have been filed in Massachusetts. The legislature must back up the 2011 act with this further protection. Does anyone have any questions on this? No? I wonder if just talking about resolutions in general, are these the first resolutions that have come before the committee like this? No, we did it last year. Uh, no, I think that was the previous yeah. prior yeah. term. Oh, well, yeah. okay. And just so, sort of like why we vote and then what happens. Okay. Um, so MASC, um, every year they have an annual delegation, um, representatives from each school committee from every district in Massachusetts, um, they, help set the priorities for the next year for MASC, so what they want to advocate at a state level. So each year they bring forth resolutions for everyone to vote on, if there's any amendments that you wanted to make, 
Um, if you have any questions, I go back to the chairs of, you know, for example, um, this one was sponsored by Lexington. So I would go back to Lexington, ask them the questions, and then at the next meeting I'd bring some answers back. And then on November 2nd, um, I'll be spending the day down Hyannis with 300 other people um, voting and discussing these resolutions on the Franklin School Committee's behalf. Um, so if there's nothing on resolution one, I'll go to resolution two. Okay. Um, resolution two, to increase the maximum balance allowed by the Special Education Reserve Fund, sponsored by the Plimpton School Committee. Whereas the Municipal Modernization Act allows for municipalities in conjunction with their school districts to create a Special Education Reserve Fund to cover the cost of unanticipated or unbudgeted special education costs, including the cost of out-of-district placements and special education transportation, and whereas the current language of the Special Education Reserve Fund caps the balance at 2% of annual net school spending, which for many rural and small districts does not leave enough in reserves to meet the needs of a single student who is placed into a collaborative setting, never mind a student who may be medically fragile and in need of an intensive residential placement and whereas school districts with large student bodies are more likely to experience multiple unanticipated and unbudgeted special education related expenses throughout the school year. Therefore, be it resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls upon the Massachusetts legislator, legislature to amend chapter 40, section 13E by deleting 2% of the annual net school spending and by inserting the following 5% of the annual net school spending. Rationale, current prices for special, for special education day programs in Massachusetts collaboratives can cost a district between $50,000 to $70,000 per student, and private provider day programs can cost districts between $70,000 to $100,000 per student. These prices do not include the cost to transport the students to these separate settings, which is part of the overall price and can fluctuate in cost. Private residential special education settings can cost a district between $120,000 to $250,000 per student. The 5% cap would allow for a deeper investment of the municipality's own monies towards preventing mid-year budget crises and positioning the school district to have the ability to provide an appropriate public education in the least restrictive setting to all students. The 5% cap would also allow reserves to grow to a sustainable level which hopefully would not be wiped out by a single year of special education related expenses. Any questions or concerns on this one? Dave? Just one kind of clarifying question, mm -hmm. just to kind of make sure I'm uh, understanding it, is that uh, this resolution is not kind of asking um, any district to be investing any more money into no. it, it just allows us to invest at a higher level to kind of prevent some budgetary issues later on down the line, is that correct? So currently the law allows for a sped stable, I'm gonna call it a sped stabilization account. Um, and we, in Franklin, we do not have such an account. Um, the Currently the law allows us to set aside 2% of our net school spending, which I wanna say is roughly $70 million um, in such a, a special, special the stabilization account, sorry. Um, so this law would change that 2% to 5%. But then, and then we're under no, um, even, you know, so this goes and passes and goes to the legislator. Mm -hmm. We're under no obligation to, to change our existing policy, but 
it does allow, if we wanted to kind of pursue that, that route, it just adds a deeper well of investment that we can kind of have. Is that Correct. It would, it would also you know, allow other districts as well. You know, this isn't just for like us. It's also we're advocating for other districts. Absolutely. I'm just kind of looking back at, at us more just kind of being mindful. Um, you know, sometimes there's always things like that bounce back effect uh, that, you know, I'm going to kind of bring up later on down the road. But this one, this is just beneficial to, yeah. to, to us and everyone else without any obligation coming back to us. And that's more, that's more to confirm. So thank you very much. Um, all right. Resolution number three, membership of the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education submitted by the Arlington School Committee. Whereas the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education has broad powers to set education policy and enact reg regulations for Massachusetts public schools, and whereas the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education has the power to choose a receiver to replace an elected school committee, and whereas the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education governs education, educator licensure in Massachusetts, and whereas practicing educators and school committee members are prohibited from serving on the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, and whereas the teaching profession is the only profession or trade in Massachusetts where the holders of a license are prohibited from serving on its governing board, and whereas professional expertise and a commitment to public governance should not disqualify a person from serving in a leadership role. Therefore, be it resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls for the enactment of legislation to repeal the provision of Massachusetts law that prohibits practicing educators and sitting school committee members from serving on the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. Be it further resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls for legislation to reconstitute the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education by including members with expertise as licensed educators and members with expertise in public school governance. Any questions? <laughs> Megan, just yell out if you have questions or comments. <laughs> so I do have a question. Okay. Yes. So right now the folks that are on this board are not active Preserving Local Governance of Massachusetts Schools, sponsored by the Arlington School Committee. Whereas the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has exercised its power to take over school districts in Lawrence in 2011, Holyoke in 2015, and Southbridge in 2016, and whereas the placement of the public schools of Lawrence, Holyoke, and Southbridge in receivership has removed their respective school committees from their role as the governing board for their schools, and has replaced local governance with a state receiver. And whereas a Boston Globe analysis of test scores, graduation rates, college enrollment, and a dozen other metrics in Lawrence, Holyoke, and Southbridge shows state receivers have failed to meet almost all of its stated goals for the districts. And whereas the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has no plan, strategy, or timeline for restoring local governance and accountability to the voters of Lawrence, Holyoke, and Southbridge, and whereas the Massachusetts Association of School Committees asserts that a strong system of local governance and accountability is the foundation of excellent schools, therefore be it resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls on the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to restore local governance and accountability for the Lawrence, Holyoke, and Southbridge Public Schools no later than July 1st, 2023, 
and be it further resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls on the Massachusetts legislature to enact legislation to limit any future state takeovers to a term of no more than three years. This is just so interesting because there was one that we had not long ago about school committees and receivership that must have not passed. No. So now they're trying yeah, to get right. And now they're listing specific, specific, specific districts. Whereas mm -hmm. before they were basically saying any. Any district. Okay. Now they're specifically stating, you know, listing more in school except for each. So, yeah, so we're, we're seeing the, those those districts, but then we're also stating that if it does happen, there is <coughs> there is a term limit that this mm -hmm. has to happen. Yeah, or it has to be released. And it's not it's not indefinite. Okay. Yeah. So I guess um, in terms of voting, do we vote yay or nay for all of them, or do we vote individually for each one of these? We can vote yay or nay for each one. And so also with this one too, just so I'm kind of clear, essentially when I started reading it, you know, it's sponsored by the Arlington School Committee and they're not affected no. whatsoever. But the other ones, Lawrence, Holyoke, Southbridge, they can't be sponsors because of the state's receivership that they don't even have school committees that can be voting members and, and write this resolution, is that correct? Correct. Okay, thanks. Um, in terms of modifications of this, I guess what what voice do we have? Like, is, is it, like can we provide recommendations on changes to this? Yes. Or is it just so on November second when I go, yep. they ask if anyone has any amendments that they would like to propose. So if any, so if we so if you were to make a proposed change tonight, mm -hmm. I would, and if everyone voted on it, if it passed. I would bring it to the November 2nd meeting. And then they, the, the larger committee, would vote on it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. Resolution five. And we have two more. <laughs> Sometimes you always volunteer and read out loud. No. I know. <laughs> nope. I'm a little. Um, a little to me. <laughs> Resolution. I was the one that counted out. You're like, oh, what do I have to read? I was the one who was talking in the corner. Um, resolution five: Personal Financial Literacy Education, sponsored by the Framingham School Committee. Whereas students will need to make wise financial decisions to promote financial well-being throughout their lives, and whereas students will need to develop actionable strategies to ma manage their futures, including managing their budgets by developing savings plans, navigating credit and debt and creating a blueprint for financing higher education or their careers, and whereas students will need to be informed consumers when making everyday purchases for both small and large items, and whereas with guidance and financial literacy, students have increased chances of affording and attaining a college education, and whereas without prior long-term financial planning, higher education plans do not come to fruition for many students due to extraordinary tuition rates, and whereas college tuitions and other financial choices such as credit card debt and loans can saddle students with a lifetime of debt due to their inability to pay back student and other type of loans. Therefore, be it resolved that MASC file legislation and would have the effect of ensuring that all students have exposure to personal financial literacy curricula 
and ultimately graduate, graduate from high school with a lifelong knowledge of how to be fiscally responsible to avoid being deterred by financial woes. This legislation would ensure that the students at various levels would benefit from curriculum in Massachusetts public schools, which would include content and personal financial literacy. Rationale. Because many students and their families today do not plan far enough ahead for college tuition, many students are not able to attend institutions of higher learning or need to drop out due to inadequate funds. This resolution will help to ensure that students are knowledgeable about the best options available to them in order to be fiscally responsible and receive the best advice in attaining their goals by being educated about the best options for paying tuitions, use of credit cards, securing personal loans, including car loans, etc. Any questions, comments on five? Dave? Yeah, so I know we I spoke about this earlier mm -hmm. um, at the high school um, presentation. You know, obviously this is one of those resolutions that could, if you know, passed by the state, kind of come back to us and all of a sudden, you know, we're on the hook monetarily to, you know, to finance a curricula like this. However, um, I think this is something that's incredibly important uh, to, you know, to, to every American, but especially to, you know, to, to young students. And uh, I think it, it would be something fantastic. And it, you know, I, I love that we already kind of have something like that in development at the high school level. Uh, and kind of really, regardless of how this, where this resolution falls, uh, I would love to, to see us, you know, kind of start to, to, you know, poke around in that a little bit as well. We, where, where can, this is beyond if this becomes required or not, it's a direction we want to move. And the, the, the power of compound interest, both negatively and positively for students, if I knew that one mm -hmm. concept, leaving high school, you know, I think of all the Marines of uh, Camp Lejeune who bought the Mustangs and all the cars at 23% interest like your coworker, um, I think it would have saved a lot of people a lot of trouble. So, and we do offer financial, um, personal finance as a, an elective, but this speaks more to all kids, and I think our goal is to have kids who leave with those portrait of a grad skills, which are the ability to, to meet this need. So regardless of how this shakes out, I know uh, Mr. Hanna, I know our middle school um, folks, we're gonna look for opportunities to continue. We, and even with, with elementary, we've done stuff, we've done work with banks around savings and uh, continuing that, so um, yes. That's fantastic, thank you very much. Cool. Um, and then uh, to the chair, if, if we do have like a, a suggestion or amendment, will we do that? Now or wait until um, my only kind of um, suggestion and rationale, like the whole first sentence, um, is just nothing but but negativity. Mm -hmm. The students and families are you know are dummy dumb. Yeah, yeah. it's not it, it's not helpful, and it's also you know as as we kind of talk about that you know we want to do this in Franklin because of the benefits, not because every student mm -hmm. in in the family can't plan ahead. But because it's great advice, um, and uh, you know that, that financial literacy, you know, done at the, the elementary school level, that compound interest is you know just fantastic. By the time they graduate seniors, so if I could make an amendment, would just be to kind of strike that first line, and then just start it with this resolution will help ensure students. Yeah. Yeah. So this resolution will just be beneficial. Yeah. For no other reason to be beneficial. Okay. I guess my question is this is the etc stand for enough. Um, I feel like there should be a little phrase because what if it's like cryptocurrency? What if it's like like things that we don't even know? I just feel like the et cetera is a little too vague there and just
something, I don't want to add any other things, just some general comment about and others as, you know, determined by current uh, fiscal landscape or something like that. Because, um, well, I guess if we're considering taking out the first, I just don't like that it's mm -hmm. just college, because it could be trade school, it could be um, further training, it's just, it's, it's a little too um, narrow. Niche. So, and other such financial decisions that may affect their quality of life, something like that. And other such, what? I don't even know if that's good because of the earlier question. Well, so can, what about if so it reads, this resolution will help to ensure that students are knowledgeable about the best options available to them in order to be fiscally responsible. Period? Yeah. 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 And then just strike the rest of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I can suggest that. It doesn't mean that it will get. Well, we'll see how persuasive we persuasive are. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, my school committee members said that it was dumb. So, <laughs> that, that, we wanted it smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was more inclusive and equitable the way we did it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with the whole idea of this, but I think some of the wording throughout is a little, it's like a little vague or too flowery, like avoid being deterred by financial woes. That's the best way to put it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like. It's very focused on college. It's college, 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 college. I would like to see it more generalized. Just talking about quality growing up and being an adult, you're going to need to yeah. deal with money. And so, right, it's very focused on college. I mean, even their second whereas covers a lot of it. And, um, yeah. Like the first one, two, three, whereas is are great. And then yeah. it goes into the college, the tuition, the tuition. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, just to kind of strike those other whereas. I guess written by a parent is like paying off. I know, it's a lot Which I get, like very often our personal things inspire us, but it's a little, it's not inclusive. Yeah. No, it's you stop talking about <laughs> um, okay, so you want me to strike those last three whereases in the therefore be it resolved with MASC file legislation. You want me to get rid of. I like the therefore be it resolved paragraph. You like okay. woes? The word woes? <laughs> it's okay if you do. It's yeah, okay. I think you need to say a little bit of the scary part, but <laughs> yeah. the okay. focus should be on. I do like the last whereas though. <laughs> College tuitions and other financial choices, such as credit card debt and loans, consolidations with a lifetime of debt due to their ability. Like that's to not pay like true. Them back. How about pay them back instead of getting specific again about the loans? So get rid of the students to and pay others. Pay them the back. Or just to pay back. To pay back. Their loans. <laughs> 
three years to assess progress? Yeah, I think so. Something just to kind of tie it back to progress. Because really I just don't want it to be like, well, we made this little progress. We yeah. had to keep you under our thumb. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I think if there's once again, it comes down to how much work needs to be done. I, I, I wouldn't want. Sorry. Just 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 my perspective. They're gonna be like, well, there's that Denise woman again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you have to go to this meeting. I didn't. She got voted. <laughs> Resolution 6, establishment of a regional school assessment reserve fund sponsored by the Silver Lake Regional School Committee. Whereas, regional school committees of the Commonwealth are tasked with producing financially sound budgets designed to meet the needs of all their students, just like all public school committees in Massachusetts. And whereas municipalities or regional schools are presented with regional assessments which can fluctuate dramatically based on enrollment percentage changes and can be further exacerbated by unbalanced adjustments of the equalized valuation of property, a key metric in the state's formula used to calculate the minimum required global contribution, and whereas in 2016, the state of Massachusetts passed the Municipal Modernization Act, which aimed to grant more local control and encourage financial efficiencies where possible. The precedent exists in statute to support the creation of a regional schools assessment reserve fund, which could be used to offset abnormally large increases to a municipality's regional assessment. Therefore, be it resolved that the Massachusetts Association of School Committees calls upon the Massachusetts legislature to enact or amend legislation which permits municipalities to establish a regional school assessment reserve fund. Proposed language for legislation could include to amend Mass General Law Part 1, Title V11, Chapter 40, by inserting Section 13F as follows, Chapter 40, Section 13F, Regional School Assessment Reserve Fund for payments towards future regional assessments. Any municipality which accepts this section by a majority vote of the, of the municipality's legislative body may establish and appropriate or transfer money to a reserve fund to be utilized in the upcoming fiscal years to pay for the regional assessment in years when the regional assessment increases by more than 35% over the previous year's regional assessment. The balance in the reserve fund shall not exceed 10% of the annual regional assessment for the municipality. Funds shall only be distributed Funds shall only be distributed by the reserve funds after a majority vote of the municipality's legislative body in years when the regional assessment is more than 3.5% in order to bring the regional assessment down to no less than 2.5% increase. The municipal treasurer may invest the monies in the manner authorized in section 54 of chapter 44, and any interest earned thereon shall be credited to and become part of the fund. Does anyone have anything they would like to change with that? No. I have a comment. I kind of understood it. I'm glad we're not regionalized. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all okay with that? Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, <clears throat> resolution one, Camille. Yes. Dave Callahan. Yes. Wait, do we have a, do we have a motion? Is there a motion to approve the following resolutions as so, discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. Roll call vote, resolution one. Yes. Camille, Dave. Yes. Al. Yes. Dave. Yes. Elise. Yes. Megan. 
Yes. All right, Denise. Yes. All right, resolution two, Camille. Yes. Dave. Yes. Al. Yes. Dave. Yes. Elise. Yeah. Megan. Yes. I'm yes. Resolution three, Camille. Heck yeah. Dave Callahan. Yes. Al Charles. Yes. Dave McNeil. Yes. Elise. Yes. Megan. Yes. Denise. Yes. Resolution four, Camille. Yes. Alright, so, so resolution four, we didn't, still change. we didn't change anything. Yep. Oh. All right. Oh, oh no, we did. Yeah. So that was with the no progress. Yep, with the no progress. Um, and just so you guys know, there's forms that I have to fill out and submit beforehand. <laughs> so I will put these together and send them to you, and then you guys can review it. And if you have any questions or comments or any additions, reply just back to me, and we'll take care of it. Four. Yes. Dave. Yes. Al. Just to confirm, as amended. As amended, correct. Right? Yes. <laughs> Subcommittee, as previously discussed, the Space Needs Facility Assessment Subcommittee reviewed the facilities throughout the district in the during the 2022-23 school year. And on June 9th, you may recall, um, the findings were presented to the school committee with recommendations. There were three recommendations during that meeting. One was to conduct a redistricting analysis. The second was to secure a consultant to assist with the process. And the third was to form a redistricting advisory committee composed of community stakeholders. During the September 27th meeting, our last meeting, the recommendation to contract with the redistricting consultant Applied Geographics, APGEO, was voted by the school committee and was approved. In accordance with school committee policy BDF, I propose that the school committee establish a redistricting advisory committee to suggest and suggest the following framework. The purpose of the redistricting committee will be to participate in a redistricting analysis of Franklin Public Schools in collaboration with APGEO's redistricting consultant. They will provide input, meaning the advisory committee, uh, will provide input, feedback, and local context on proposed scenarios to potential updates to attendance boundaries within Franklin. The Space Needs Subcommittee will present findings and possible recommendations to the school committee for consideration and changes to school boundaries. The final decision regarding redistricting rests with the Franklin School Committee. Composition. It's proposed that the school committee have two chairs to guide the work, one school committee member and the superintendent or designee, and the school committee um, will make appointments to the advisory committee consistent with the school committee policy BDF. Uh, we will see stakeholder representation from across the district, including members of the school committee, superintendent, district administration, school principals, FEA, leadership, teachers, staff representation, parents and guardians, and community members. Those interested in serving on the redistricting advisory committee will have the opportunity to apply via an interest form, which will be emailed. Communication will be forthcoming with details if this is approved. And the time commitment, uh, we met with Applied Geographics this morning uh -huh. as an, an introductory and initial 
meeting, and they discussed having um, basically two groups, one smaller working group that can provide information like our map data, uh, I'm sorry, our GIS data, not map and student data, um, demographic information, boundaries, um, uh, a host of other pieces of information they need to put together um, basically considerations, but ultimately have a large group that I just mentioned um, that would meet uh, multiple times per year. They suggested four, potentially five, meeting each month. Their first meeting is a kickoff with, with the, the full committee and then have some in-between work for basically folks to dive into some of the details and ultimately arrive by the end of the school year with um, scenarios and a recommendation. There'll also be you know, components to their project where the community is engaged at large, even if you're not participating on the committee. And we talked about the communication strategy involved, which includes a website which has up-to-date information, um, multiple opportunities to present to school committee um, an update on what's happening. So um, overall, it seemed like there was a very comprehensive plan that they put together. But ultimately, um, folks, in, when they receive the, if you approve, they receive the interest form, which would outline the commitment so people would know up front what they would be signing up for. So with that said, I recommend the establishment of a redistricting advisory committee to the school committee as discussed. Mm -hmm. Is there a motion to establish a redistricting advisory committee as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Discussion, questions, Camille? No. Dave? Yeah, just uh, two things. One, love, uh, just seeing the stakeholders, you know, all, you know, specifically kind of listed up. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and then uh, within the purpose to, uh, you know, uh, talk about like the scope of uh, just the updates to attendance boundaries. So is the scope, I'm saying limited to, this is, that's, that's a lot, but is this scope just about redrawing boundaries or is it also kind of taking, potentially taking a look at like a realignment about how we, we utilize the, the existing space that we, that we have? Like are we gonna, you know, just kind of say, all right, these are the buildings that we have, let's just kind of draw new lines on the map? Or are we, going to take a look at the full scope and say, all right, here's the utilization that we have, how best to utilize all of this based on enrollment numbers. So the after meeting today, I feel more confident in answering. Um, it's really to look at the information and come into this without any preconceived decisions on what needs to happen, but walk through a process that actually considers um, that information and engages a larger group in discussion. Um, what I liked is they emphasized that local context and making sure they understood. They provided some examples that they learn through um, the community on things you don't find on a map that are important to know and unique to a specific area. Like, oh, I walk through, there's a trail, you know, that leads right to a whole neighborhood that can connect right to a school is one example that they gave that you wouldn't necessarily know. So it's that, I think it's a great mix of engaging humans that are representative of our schools with information and then tying the two together. And I don't think we're limited in, in, in that, except that the idea is you're really trying to, the goal of this is to look at how are we um, assessing, this, which is something we haven't really done in about 20 years, how are we assessing our schools uh, currently and then for the future with their enrollment, and what makes the most sense for who should attend what based on where you live within the town, which is the scope of any redistricting. So um, that would be my answer. Appreciate it. Thank yep. you very much. Al? No questions. Dave? No questions. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, Megan? Uh, no questions. Okay. All right. All right. Vote will come on the motion. Um, Camille? Yes. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? 
Yes. Denise Spencer, yes. We also kind of talked about, actually, it was, it was, we had two robust uh, conversations. One was about um, utilizing Venmo within student activities and, and for student utilization. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we opted not to kind of proceed in that direction. Uh, kind of moving forward, Mira, please, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm overstating. Um, but ultimately, um, there, there was just too many both logistical and also financial hurdles to kind of pulling in Venmo uh, just for things like, say, the homecoming tickets or the banquet that was kind of discussed mm -hmm. earlier today. Um, it would really put a strain financially, uh, you know, on, on the district, uh, you know, along with actually the staff as well. Um, there are options. Uh, Unit Bank is kind of working with uh, a place like Venmo, actually with Venmo, uh, to be able to kind of pull them in. But at this moment, we did kind of look into that possibility, and it's just not something that uh, kind of came out of policy as a recommendation. Um, but uh, we also kind of had, we started a discussion about strengthening uh, the policy of uh, life-threatening food allergies. Um, and uh, that's something that uh, like I said, we had an initial conversation. Uh, we're going to meet again on November 9th, and at that point, we should have a lot of feedback from uh, principals and staff members um, about uh, you know how we could really kind of just reinforce our existing policy and just make it um, just safer for our kiddos. Uh, but then, otherwise, uh, like I said, the next meeting is on November 9th. Um, Al, space needs facilities. Uh, so we haven't had a meeting, uh, but as Mr. Jagir had mentioned, we did meet with FDO today uh, mm -hmm. informally just to get aligned. Um, so from a process standpoint, uh, the contract should be completed and signed uh, by the end of this week. Um, and then now that we do have the approval for the um, redistricting advisory committee, uh, Mr. Jagir will be able to send out some communications out to solicit interest um, and we'll look to do it through various means so that folks of all groups can where and, and um, share their interests. No new meetings as of yet, so uh, more to come. Joint PCC? Um, I misspoke last month or last meeting. Um, our next JPCC meeting is this coming um, Monday, the 17th. Oh, all right. Um, School Wellness Advisory Council? Black met on October 4th to review last year's accomplishments, evaluate end of the year feedback, and discuss areas of focus for this year. Our second year working with a wellness coach will be focused on putting policy into practice. Uh, she will be our coach will be attending the next meeting on November 1st. Anything else to add? CPAC? Uh, CPAC. So the Meet the CPAC event is tomorrow night on Zoom. And the book club meeting is November 18th, Intimate Escape to Fiction, or People Can Join on Zoom. Uh, again, that discussion will be focused on Temple Grandin's book, Thinking and Pictures, and everyone is welcome to attend. They're still hoping to host a trunk or treat, but stay tuned, stay tuned for a date on that. Um, and check out their Facebook page for more information. Thank you. Uh, Substance Abuse Task Force. 
We had our first meeting today at the Safe Coalition's new headquarters here in Franklin in Mosley Mills. It's such a great space. It's huge and there's just lots of meeting spaces and they're gonna have activities for families and students and it's, it's gonna be awesome. So it's great to continue to partner with the Safe Coalition. Um, so we had a great discussion about our um, what we started planning last year, but also our next critical conversation, which will probably be in January. Um, we kind of have different components of it. We're going to have a student panel and really listen to student voice on what they want to hear and what they're experiencing. Also adding a parent component um, as well as some educational components. So we're really excited about the work and our next meeting is November 15th. And DEI committee. Um, we, have, we are going to be kicking that off. It's actually great timing with our next presentation, um, but then we will have a meeting. Um, it's right before the 25th, so I want to say it might be around the 21st. Mm -hmm. I have to double check with that uh, on that particular date. Okay. Yeah. Approval of the minutes from your September 27, 2022 school committee meeting as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $225 from the Franklin Music Boosters for in-house enrichment as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $1,100 from the Keller PCC for field trips as detailed. Okay. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, discussion, questions? Am I allowed to approve if I left at 8.26? If you would. The minutes, like I left. She left mid meeting. I threw up. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> so um, I, yeah, you am can, I allowed to vote? Yeah, like to approve them? them if, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I appreciate all the effort. 
from from everyone um, in the session today. Uh, first, I just want to say I like what Josh Hanna said about looking at other schools and their academic successes and looking to maybe incorporate uh, some of these things into Franklin. And uh, I'd also like to understand if he's looking at just public schools or uh, at charter and private schools as well. Um, I also like what was mentioned near the end of the meeting and I think in the middle about teaching kids to be fiscally responsible in regards to um, you know some of the options after high school. So I think that, that definitely is important. Um, what, I'm, what I'm not entirely excited about is uh, Franklin Public Schools being hyper-focused on race, uh, sexuality, and gender identity. A lot of the social viewpoints that are being kind of brought into the schools. Um, I, you know, I, I think that if diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives were uh, learning about different cultures, like Joshua Hanna said earlier, uh, that he experienced with uh, with the you know eating different foods and, and so forth from different cultures, or if it was about advocating for a holiday for Diwali, then you know I'm on board, you know 100%. Uh, my concern is that there are social viewpoints being presented to students by faculty and staff that are coming out of professional development or books referenced in school committee meetings like Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist or the one mentioned earlier, I, I wrote the name down somewhere but I can't find it. Um, you know, we keep hearing that in these meetings that uh, folks want to infuse DEI in the classroom and the curriculum coming from a single viewpoint, or it seems like it's coming from a single viewpoint. So what I would just recommend is, you know, some of these topics are controversial, right? And um, I think when we are presenting uh, controversial topics to either faculty or staff, or particularly to students, of course, that we incorporate a variety of viewpoints and, you know, to make sure that um, our students are exposed to these viewpoints as well. Obviously not meant for all grades, but you know, at a certain point. So thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, is there anyone else? expect as part of our continued series on school improvement goals, you'll hear um, from Heidi Harris and myself and our team regarding um, the goals related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, really in the focus on belonging, and um, we'll, we'll hit on that. And then also um, approving clubs and activities, it was referenced tonight, but we will um, put the clubs and activities before you as well, so you can review and see which ones are out there and approve. Um, that, that will be next meeting for new business, but I did make some notes about things that came up along the way. We Last year we did civics presentations at the end of the year, so that's something that you can expect again. Um, also, uh, we will have, typically we have a, like an MCAS or an assessment presentation. Mm -hmm. That will be coming um, later in the fall. And I actually thought maybe an edge of jargon presentation or something that kind of unpacks some of those acronyms because I do think it would. It only helps us to make sure we're clear about what we mean when we say, you know, um, whatever UDL or SEL. Um, just to be clear, I think that's something that maybe could live later. 
on the website as well, just to help us um, continue to engage with our community in a way that makes it clear what we mean and what we don't mean, and we want to make sure we're trying to bring people along on all these ideas, and, and um, you know, some of it's instructional, some of it's related to social emotional well-being or mental health or creating spaces for all where, where everyone feels like they belong. So I would just say that maybe it behooves us to put something out as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know when that will be yet, but we're going to get through this next phase. Okay. All right. Um, at this time, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. So move. Second. All right, perfect. We'll call vote. Camille. Yeah. Dave Kelly. Yes. Al Charles. Yes. 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 All right. We will see everyone again on October 25th. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.